This edition of Wooden Cubes and Iron Soldiers is brought to you by 2d6.org. Go there for all your gaming review, news, and interview needs. Hey everybody, welcome to the 6th edition of Wooden Cubes and Iron Soldiers with myself, Joel Eddy, uh, Lance Mixter, and Marco Arnaudo. Mikester. Mikester. Yes, I'm not the only one that made that mistake. Why do yes. I always call it Mikester? I don't know. Uh, hey, look at this. go to your dictionary and look up the, the word M-Y. <laughs> what, 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 what word is that? My. That would be the word my. How do you pronounce that? My. Now I add X-T-E-R to it. Mikester. I will never forget that because of that explanation. That will stick in my head forever. Uh, there's only like 12 of us in the world, so it's just, you know, it, it, it isn't a totally needed uh, uh, skill. But anyway, go ahead, man. Okay. Well, it's been a little while uh, since we did our last one, and the blame falls in 100% of my shoulders, at least according to Lance and Marco. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Today, pretty much, pretty much. Well, I'll, I'll take some responsibility also because of my laryngitis that you know made it impossible for me to speak last week. I just couldn't talk at all. Yeah, that's. But still, mainly Joe's fault. Let's face it. <laughs> anyway, mainly my fault. Let's let, let's be honest. Uh, today we are not going to have a topic because a topics are lame, and <laughs> b. <laughs> Uh, it's been so long, we've played so many different games between us that we thought we'd just have sort of a casual roundtable and just kind of give you our thoughts a little bit more in depth on the games we've been playing and just kind of have a little bit more of a nice, friendly chat uh, until I bring up Lords of Waterdeep, then the chat will become unfriendly. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so who wants to jump in here? Marco or Lance? You got uh, How's it been going? Well, I'll start. Um... Well, in the past weeks, um, it was the end of the semester here, so I have done a lot of preparing exams, grading exams, grading papers. So I had a period in which I couldn't play as much as I would have liked, but now the academic year is over, so I'm spending this week's of break you know, between the end of the year and the birth of my second daughter, uh, trying to play as many games as I can, and I, I've done a lot of extra gaming. And a game that's uh, really grabbed me, uh, that really you know struck me as outstanding is 1989, Dawn of Freedom. 1989. I know that Joe played it, I know that Joe also just released a review about that game, and I, I just love it. I just, it's, I find it a fascinating, outstanding design. I'm probably one of the very few people uh, that haven't played Twilight Struggle, just like I'm the only person in America that hasn't seen the Avengers movie yet. Uh, so I cannot compare that with Twilight Struggle or with the Avengers, but um, I, I think it's just a phenomenal design in itself. I can compare it to Labyrinth the War on Terror, that one I have played. And, of course, this one is much uh, more accessible, more approachable. It has level. It has less things that you have to worry about, less little ideas and mechanics that you have to take into account. Um, it feels tighter. It feels much tighter. But also the theme is different. You know, the idea of this 
labyrinth of terrorism, which is nowhere and everywhere, it can pop out in a million different places and million different forms. Um, that you know, those those mechanics they feel a less a little more mm, elusive in labyrinth. Maybe it wouldn't work very well in 1989, but 1989 has just a perfect balance between theme and mechanics and playability. Absolutely it's agree. Just, yeah. Um, what are what are your impressions, Joel? And then maybe we can talk about some specific aspects after you know after we. we yeah. Yes, please. Um, what a game I've ever played. That sounds so interesting. Have you played it, Mike? Have you played it, Mister Mike's turn? I don't know. I wasn't cool enough to get a review copy, so. Oh. No. Yeah. But have Here, you have you played? Take a, a, take a nap. You guys talk for like a half hour. I'm just gonna close my eyes. Go ahead. <laughs> I won't bother you again. You don't snore, do you? No. No. Yeah, just, no. Just check. I can mute this. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> um. Well, Lance, have you played Twilight Struggle? Yes, I have okay. played Twilight Struggle. Well, it, this game is is quite like Twilight Struggle. I've actually played Twilight Struggle, and I've played Labyrinth. Um. This is, uh, it, it, I saw that uh, one of the, it wasn't one of the designers, I want to say it was a developer or playtester of it, said that 1989 is unabashedly derivative of Twilight Struggle. You know, they, they make no qualms about that, and it for sure is. Uh, there's a ton of similarities, obviously. But the thing that I really enjoyed about it that I wasn't sure about was the Power Struggle cards. And mm-hmm. how when you go to score a country, you have this sort of mini game. You know, mm-hmm. and my kind of surface impression of it was, oh, it's just kind of a tacked on mini game just to kind of, you know, draw out some of the, the scoring and make it a little bit more exciting. And also because basic most of the rest of the game is slightly lighter than Twilight Struggle. At least that was my impression. And But I ended up really enjoying the whole sort of dynamics of that and how you have to capture or control, I should say, you know, the certain areas of the country so that when you draw a leader card, um, you know, if you have control of the elite section of a country, and then if you draw a leader card during the power struggle, that's you're going to be able to use that. But if you don't have control of the elite area and you draw a leader card, it's a dead card in your hand. And it's just a, there's a lot more nuances to it than just that. But I really like that aspect and how, you know, it feels like a, a you know, battle card driven battle thing, but it's not. It's more this sort of ideologies, you know, battling and sort of the, the hearts and minds of the people and then sort of the the people above the normal citizens, you know, the leaders, the people with influential voices in these different areas that you're able to sort of get control of and things like that. Just really engaging that way. Mm-hmm. And just the mechanics of the the power struggle cards is the you know the whole bluffing and and all that stuff and like you know do you have more of this type of card and maybe you should hold it back and pretend like you don't have them and things like that it's really awesome. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I also <clears throat> same feelings here. The beginning I thought what was the connection between this and and the main game and then of course I realized that the point is precisely that the main game is all preparing for the power struggle. Mm-hmm. You're preparing your resources and making sure that you have the right contacts and the right backup for when the country reaches, you know, the the, the boiling point that mm-hmm. coalesces into the struggle where the country may go in either direction. I mean that that the game really mirrors the mini game mirrors what happened in the larger game. The, mm-hmm. If you were able to prepare well, then you had good chances of winning. And if you didn't, 
spot, but then you have better chances of losing. It, it really sort of like, you know, this is a payoff. Also, <clears throat> the first two times I played the game, uh, we didn't realize that not all leaders are born equal, or maybe they're not born, you know, as in, in as many copies. Right. We didn't realize that there are certain leaders that are much more common. That means that the areas associated with those leaders are much more powerful. Employers right. should fight for those. And I like the fact that, in fact, the two most common leaders are the elite and the intellectuals. Right. Because the communist side has an easier time controlling the elites, just like there are more cards that help the Democrat player to take control of the intellectuals. So you can spend a lot of resources trying to mess up with the best source of powerful leaders of the opponent but it's an expensive choice because the opponent can just bring back their own better leaders easily mm -hmm. or you can try to do other things you can try to spread around and get many secondary leaders um, i just like that there are no no-brainer options they're all interesting options but the better an option the more dangerous it is because you're spending a lot and then you're risking of not um, being able to do other things on the board. So to me, really, actually, when you start seeing the rest of the game as preparation to the minigame, then the two things just really feel like one. The two aspects of the game really go together well. And you're perfectly right that the, that the first time or two that one plays the game, one feels that uh, the game is all about the number of cards that you have. You know, the player with more cards will win the game, the minigame, right. uh, the first couple of times. Then when you start seeing the nuances and the bluffing, it is not as easy. Having a couple more cards than your opponent really will not grant victory because depending on how the minigame is played, right. uh, Destiny may still swing in one direction or the other. It is just so much fun. And I like the fact that in a certain way, the game does not have a, uh, a steady pace. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are moments in which you know that the situation is going to precipitate and as crisis is arriving, maybe you have a two turns to prevent that when you know a struggle is coming up. And there are the times in which all cards about struggles have been played, either they are removed from the game or you know they will not come back for a while. And then people can invest and work on preparing you know, on long-term projects. And then again, things start accelerating and the crisis comes up again. I really like that, that fact, that balance between a sort of like a planning phase and then, you know, and then all of a sudden you have the countdown mechanics that comes back. I really, really like that. I thought maybe the planning phases where you have more time would be boring or, you know, would feel like too long. But no, I really like the fact that that is where you can work in a different way uh, from when you're working under pressure and because of emergencies that are coming up one after the other. Right. Well, even in those, uh, what you call the planning phases, it seems to me like a lot of the, there's definitely some events that are more powerful, more dramatic mm -hmm. than the others. And it seems like during those phases, at least, you know, when the times I played, that's when those would come up and you'd have some of the events, especially in the later year, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that some of the events that are based on other ones that have already been played in the mm -hmm. early year, those will happen. And then those are huge. You know, you'll get like, uh, it'll just totally swing like a country or oh, yeah. catch somebody up or pull somebody that much further ahead. So yeah, they, they definitely aren't boring at all. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one thing, though, is that, I mean, it's, it's not a minus, I'd say something that's specific to the design is that you need to play it a lot to really understand how to play the game. Hmm. And that means that it is hard to play the game with new players. Yeah. You're not, if yeah. you're familiar, you're not really playing the game when a player that you're introducing the game to, you're leading a teaching session. Yep. There are games that are unbalanced, you know, where games that are unbalanced and you're teaching it to a new player, you take the side for which it's almost impossible to win and you're teaching the game, but you're still actually having the, you're still having a challenge because mm-hmm. you may still lose the game. But here you just have so much advantage in terms of what you know, how yeah. the cards work. I mean, the first time that you look at the cards, would you know that the Lutheran church in the early year is a card that may swing an entire country because of the card that it allows later? Is that the church that's in East Germany? Yes. The yeah. Lutheran church. <laughs> that's so the one I was just play... thinking of when I was talking about earlier. Exactly. If you yeah. play that card, then you have you can later play the demonstrations, which are huge. Oh, there yes. are the cards, you know, like uh, Solidarity legalized in Poland. Mm-hmm also allow something powerful to happen later, but they're powerful themselves. So yeah. you have the card, you do not know what happens later, but you know, uh, I'm the Democrat player, maybe I should get rid of this card. Right. But there are the cards that you just cannot figure, you cannot foresee the implications right. until you have played the game several times. And the one cool aspect of that is it's not really going to come out during the gameplay, but you know, when I saw that, you know, and th- other things like that. I was like, God, that's crazy. Why is this so powerful? You can go look in the instruction book, and, so mm-hmm. they, and they have descriptions of every single card, like mm-hmm. historical. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, well, this happened, and this guy was important. And it was like, I never even heard of this guy before. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's one of the things I really like about this, where Twilight Struggle, like, I kind of know most of the stuff, because it's, you know, taught a lot in the history classes here. And, you know, I do, mm-hmm. do learn certain things, but there's a ton of stuff in there I had no really grasp of at all. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's educational and it's like, it's a great game. It's very highly strategic and all this stuff. But mm-hmm. then I'm also like learning a lot about Eastern European history in the, in that year. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And actually, actually the educational value is something that, uh, again, I also it's a game that you know, I remember those years, you know, I was young, but I remember those things happening, but certainly not, I did not get as good a grasp as I can get nowadays by reading about it. Yeah. And definitely it's absolutely the educational value, the insight that you get are huge. And this is also why I'm so excited about a game that definitely is going to be very controversial when it comes out. I think we, we, we talked about it in a previous episode, which is free at last mm-hmm. about the civil rights. And I saw some comments about this on Breaking Geek of people saying, I looked at the cards and thought I knew the general you know, idea of the civil rights, but most of the people mentioned all the cards have never heard about. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't do I didn't know the single the first thing about them. And just it is gonna be a way, you know, to expose people not just to the theme in general, to a Wikipedia summary of the theme but to the really detailed facts and to get to people, you know, to get people to know the individuals that were part of that struggle. Uh, And I'm really looking forward to that game again. Also, well, as an opportunity to play another game uh, with political and social aspects that are based on, you know, then are mirrored by card driven mechanics, but also just for the opportunity of learning about, again, political and social struggles in such detail and at the same time in such an appealing, engaging, 
in an exciting way. You know, mm-hmm. it's just the best way of learning about things. It's it's no surprise that games are being used more and more into the in the classroom right. because it's just it's just such a fantastic way to uh, get people excited about a topic, not just exposed to a topic. Right now, is that the game that's also Ted Torgerson that helped out or was the main, I guess, designer of 1989 along with Jason Matthews? Is that his other game, Free at Last? Well, yeah, yeah, Free at Last is by Ted Torgerson. So yeah, definitely the same designer of yeah. 1989. Sweet. Yeah, that's that's you know after all the fun that I had playing 1989 and seeing how well and deeply the theme is captured i think that's that makes free at last even more promising Mm -hmm. yeah the whole aspect of sort of getting into uh the mentality sort of stepping into the shoes of some of the key people uh Mm -hmm. in these different things uh you know that really came across to me also in labyrinth where Mm -hmm. you know i'm not going to tell you what my political views are on different things but i have i do have them and playing that game sort of allowed me to see Okay, so um, okay, so he was kind of thinking about this, or this guy was thinking about that. So I could see how maybe he would make this decision one way or the other, mm-hmm. you know, and just kind of allowed me to empathize a little bit, not with the terrorists, mm-hmm. obviously, but you know, just with different people that were involved, and to really see, okay, things aren't so cut and dry, black and white all the time. Yeah, there are a lot of shades of gray in these in these historical periods and things. So yeah, and I yeah. And playing Labyrinth, I saw how one can really get to hate Europeans. Man, they're really stupid in that game. They really <laughs> don't see what you're trying to do with the American side. They're so un- you know, ungrateful and appreciative idiots. <laughs> Damn it. I'm, you know, busting my whatever off to, to save the world, to help against terrorism. And look at these guys. They're always complaining and whining. <laughs> it's, you know, for European, you do get to that visceral feeling of like, Gee, they don't get it. That's, I think it's remarkable how the game can make you see things from a perspective that is, on your, that is not your own for a European person. Yeah. So what and, else have you been playing there besides 1989? <laughs> well, I've been playing a couple of things. <clears throat> well, let's say starting from the things that I like the most, I played the new edition of Wings of War, uh, which is called Wings of Glory. I don't know if you guys ever played that one. Uh, no, I haven't played any of those. It is a miniature game. I should play Wings of Glory World War II, which is the new edition of Wings of War World War One. I. I played sorry World War II. I like the World War II version of this game. There's also World War One that works differently, not just thematically. It has different mechanics. I just like the World War II better. It moves faster. It has more interaction, in my very humble opinion. And this Wings of Glory has all the good things of the previous edition. Uh, it is beautiful. It is easy to play. It has different levels of complexity. You can open the box and read the basic rules and play the game with your seven-year-old kids in five minutes. Or you can go into the 20 or so pages of, uh, of, of optional rules and add a lot of detail, a lot of complexity and play it with adults and have, again, a much more realistic simulation. And then the thing that I always loved about Wings of War, where were you? is the flexibility of the system. So not only can you customize it by choosing as many optional rules as you want, or by ignoring them all, so make the game as complex as you want, but then you can easily extend it. 
And once you get the general concept, it is very easy to come up with your own rules, your own expansions, your own situations, to create your own scenarios. I think you can think about, you know, that has to do with air combat, because the game is about air combat in World War II. Uh, Then you can easily find a way of mirroring it in the game, of coming up with something that would work. It is a very elastic system. You can just do so much with it. And you can play with two people. You can play with 10, 20 people without slowing it down because everybody selects their action simultaneously. So if you have 20 people, they're not going to take much longer than two people. Everybody selects their action. Everybody moves their airplane based on the action that is selected. You look at where the airplanes are now. If people are in range, they're going to shoot at each other. And that's it. And then you plan next turn. And you and you move next turn. And it is a game that is uh, miniature games. Uh, they, they, they tend to be very complicated, and if they are not, they're disappointing because it, they just often feel too easy or not, you know, not thematic enough. This is a game that has a magic thing of being very thematic and very simple, very accessible. You have for each airplane decks of cards, and each card represents a maneuver, but it doesn't describe it; it shows it to you. Say you have a card that allows you to do a tight turn, and then there's an arrow that represents a tight turn. A card that you know means you're going straight, has an arrow that goes straight. So everybody selects their card of the next move secretly. You have the entire deck. You have a deck of cards, but you don't have a hand. All cards are available to you. You select your next move. You place it in front of your miniature, face, face down. But you place it face down in front of you. Then when it is time to resolve it, you place it in front of your miniature, reveal it. And you literally move your airplane on the card, on the arrow. So the airplane, the the card indicates the final position of your airplane. If you executed a tight turn, if you went straight, if you did whatever other maneuver. So it is just so intuitive. You just look at it and it happens. You don't have to do measurement. You don't have to do bookkeeping. And this is just the way that I really like the economy of the game. Those airplanes are flying the way they're supposed to because the people that designed the game did their homework. If a certain airplane is slow, then the cards don't have long arrows. If a certain airplane wasn't able to turn very well, then the arrows for tight turns are not that tight. Uh, So it's just fantastic to me how the game manages to mirror reality in such an accessible way. It's a no-brainer. You can just play it intuitively. And it's just tons of fun. So I always loved the Wings of War, World War II game. Wings of Glory, I loved it. And I can say it was disappointed. I was probably expecting uh, a Wings of War, you know, 2.0. Mm-hmm. But it is really sort of like a re-release. You have new models, and that I'm happy. New airplanes to add to my collection. I have a lot of airplanes uh, for the game. New airplanes to add. Uh, counters have been redesigned they look slightly better other components have been updated but not upgraded actually they don't look better than they did before the rule book has been reorganized that means that mostly rules have been placed in different places in different orders so that it's easier to have a progression from the basic level to the advanced level as opposed to as you had in the original rule book you have the basic level and then you have a bunch of rules and you chose how many you wanted to add so there's more of a progression, but it's really not an in, a big improvement. It's not even it's not worse either. You mm-hmm. just get you know more beautiful components and more airplanes. The point is that it's more of the same, 
And actually, I'm not against that. If I love the original game, I'm okay with more of the same, you know, when you add more cards to Nightfall, for example. Um, it is just a great game. Wings of Glory, oh, the point is that I can say, oh, start from here. It is not like Thunderstone Advance as opposed to Thunderstone. If you haven't played Wings of Glory or Wings of War, World War II, and you want a war game that is very easy, very accessible, super fun, can be played anywhere with anybody, then I suggest you take you 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 pick up a copy of one of them. Mm-hmm. If you find a copy of Wings of War, World War II, that is less expensive than Wings of Glory, you're gonna be fine. It's not you know Wings of Glory is not a must-have as opposed to Wings of War. I believe that one of them is a must-have. <laughs> Everybody right. should try at least one of them. Uh, it's it's a very good product. Don't get me wrong. It's just I think it's just as good as the previous edition was. Now, have you yeah. seen that? Uh... Or Fantasy Flight Games is coming out with X-Wing, which is a Star Wars game, but it's basically, I think, really close to that system. Uh, is it? I, I I seem to remember of seeing some pictures of that online, but I may be wrong here. Hmm. That had replayed on a board with hexes, and that's hmm. not work. But maybe I'm, I'm remembering wrong. I, I don't know. I think I'm. So it's a full I, miniature game. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I, I mean, I could be talking out out of my butt a little bit. And I had read this probably a can few you months. Can we in our podcast? It's okay. I think we can. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, <I'm checking. laughs> um, oh, no, you're right, you're right. I'm looking at pictures online right now, and you're perfectly right. I, I don't know. Okay. I probably was mixing it with Battleship, uh, Galaxies. Or maybe it was just drunk when I look at those pictures. <laughs> and it was, yeah, you're perfectly right. It is a miniature game. Yeah. So I think it's loosely based on that system. Uh, so mm-hmm. that that's... Uh, uh, I'm probably I'm going to be attending Gen Con, so I know they'll have it there. Maybe I'll check it out, given mm-hmm. your your like of the other system. And if you guys don't mind me stealing the mic for another little while, there's, I know that I already talked a lot, but there's another game that I play, I started playing, and it would make sense to me to talk about it now, uh, which is Carnivale. Have you guys ever heard of that game? Never. Never heard yeah, of it. Probably not. It's a very little-known game. I, I found it. When I was browsing Borging Geek, because I was spotting for something else, I didn't remember what. But it's not like I had heard about it and I wanted to know more. Carnival is a Spanish miniature game. It comes with a manual with over 160 pages um, and with miniatures that you can purchase. They made the miniatures. And it's, it's important that they made them because the theme is very unique. The thing is amazing. Uh, it is set in Venice, 1795. Again, I said this, the theme is so you, originally you cannot use miniatures from other games, or it's very hard. Some are available, but they look kind of like, but very unique. The idea is that Venice in that time, um, but there was an event that brought creatures from other plants of realities and magic. It is sort of like a, a mix between the historical events of the time and a Lovecraftian universe with enchantments and cultists and monsters and actually they're not really shy about this i mean the rule book does say that in the world of venice 1795 there are people that worship cthulhu and worship dagon they explicitly mentioned that i don't even know if there's any problem there with copyrights or something but the idea is really you have that's look at the miniatures are beautiful they're just splendid miniatures with these really weird characters, both the monsters, 
um, the human beings or some big characters that are hybrids between the aquatic monsters and normal human beings, like you have in some stories by Lovecraft, like the Shadow over Innsmouth. Beautiful miniatures. Uh, the rule book starts with a 40-page description of this universe. Incredible, incredibly detailed background uh, story. They really set up the background. I think if you play it, you really kind of need to RPG it, just because if you read the entire thing, you know so much about the universe. So it's just so well fleshed out. Then you get to read the rules, and the rules are really basic, are really dry, and are really generic. You have characters that have, you know, stats like combat and dexterity and this and that. And the points of each stat is the number of D10s that you roll. And if you roll more than a certain number, then you score a hit. You score, it's called a, an ace in the game. You score an ace. And if you score a number of aces, you are succeeding what you're trying to do to jump or to attack the opponent or whatever. Uh, and that is modified by things. If the opponent uses a weapon, then you get an extra die. You know, if you're attacking with a certain weapon, you get an extra die. If you have an armor, then you subtract uh, some damage from the damage you receive. It's very generic. Uh, I just didn't see any strong, I would call it, necessary connection between the theme and the uh, and the mechanics. It seems like a game where they spent a lot of time thinking about the background, creating the universe, uh, creating the miniatures. Uh, but then the mechanics behind it, they really feel very generic. Uh, they don't feel to, the, the, to mirror the theme, which again, then in retrospect, I think of Wings of War, and I'm saying, darn, look at the case in which theme and mechanics are so strongly you know, tailored to each other. They work. They're, one, are the expression, one is the expression of the other. Um, I really do not have that sense with, with Carnivale. And so it's... And, it's really a game that is a triumph of, of theme. I mean, look around it, look for pictures online. The rulebook is available online. Uh, you can just look at the rulebook and the, you so you look at the pic, at the miniatures after they are painted the way they're supposed to. Uh, the designer, the producer created um, you know landscapes to set some of the battles to take pictures of to put the pictures in the rulebook. It's just beautiful. It's a visual triumph. But then the game behind it is very, I don't know, it's not very gamey. Mm-hmm. I think this is a case in which the theme overwhelmed the mechanics. There are cases in which the, op- the opposite is true. But meaning that if you play this game, you really have to be into the hobby side of miniature gaming. You know, I'm, I like miniature gaming. Right. Emphasis on gaming. And there are people that, by the contrary, their emphasis on miniature. Build the landscape, build the buildings, paint the miniatures, and then they're just happy with rolling a bunch of D10s when they're moving. They're beautifully painted miniatures in beautifully reconstructed, you know, reproductions of Venetian palaces. (laughs) You know, so that's, that's, again, I think this is a uh, miniature game for the hobbyist. Right. More than necessarily for, for the gamer. And it just, it just so happens, you know, in the same couple of days, I played the two miniature games that are just so different in, in philosophy. Mm-hmm. You know, that is an interesting uh, sort of tidbit there with the miniature stuff is uh, there's a couple of shops in my area uh, that mm-hmm. uh, are more miniature fa- uh, 
based. You know, we've mm-hmm. got one shop that's board game based, uh, which is sort of mm-hmm. a miracle. Um, and then a couple that are, you know, Magic the Gathering based. Mm-hmm. And when I walk into one of the miniature based ones where they do Warhammer and War Machine and all that stuff, mm-hmm. I hardly ever see them playing the games. Uh, and I know yeah. I know that the shops do have certain days that they play the games on and have tournaments and things. So I know they are already playing it. But, you know, they're just sitting around painting the models, having a good time. Maybe they got some of the books open, talking about the history of the universe and things. And yeah, just, yeah, yeah. You know? It's cool. Yeah. I mean, not, not for me, but it's it's interesting. Yeah, it's perfectly legitimate, you know. Yeah. But it's, it's just a different side of the hobby. So to me, it's almost a different hobby entirely. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. It's interesting. In, in Indiana, we have a – it's not a chain. It's just a group of stores called the Game Preserve. So I'm just doing a little bit of free promotion here because I really I'm, I'm not being paid for saying this. I just really like the store, especially the one in Bloomington, because it's a great social space. I get I get there, I hang out. They have a game room with all of games that are there for you to browse for free, including new games, not just you know things that they have there and they haven't been able to sell games that just came out. So you can go and try them before you you buy them. And this is for free, but end of the little free advertisement. Uh, and they also have. So they have several stores in Indiana, and yes, they have the one that is here in Bloomington, which is heavily board game based, with an area for Warhammer, and you know they have their tournaments of Magic. But the point is really that there's a lot of board games there, and people that are conversant with board games. And then they have another location in Indiana, in Indiana where I went there, I wanted to see it, and it's all Warhammer. There's this huge Warhammer mecca uh, yeah. with a smaller section of of board games, just a couple of, you know, small shelves with some board games here and there, but everybody was just interested in, work, in Warhammer. Yeah. And I just thought, it, it's interesting, how, how did they decide that? How did, you know, how did they decide, oh, the one around out of Indianapolis, we put the Warhammer because that's where people play Warhammer, but down in Bloomington, those, <laughs> you know, whatever Bloomingtonians are, they like board games, so we're going to put the board games there. Yeah. I just wonder how it worked. Well, I think around they 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 put the stores there, and then they that those stores kind of created their own magnetic field. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's probably sort of different shades of gray. Uh, I know the one guy, um, he's huge in the War Machine and Warhammer, and it's just because the owner loves it. And oh, actually, two of the different shops in the area, one in my town and one like you know one town over. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just the owners and the guys that run the shop. That's what they like. Mm-hmm. You know, and then the board game base one is that's what the guy likes. He likes Euro games. He likes, you know, basically any board game. Uh, so it's just driven by that. And I think people just gravitate to, you know, like-minded people. And mm-hmm. in a case of yep. a ch- chain like that, I don't know, maybe they did set out on purpose to say, oh, it seems yeah. like there's more this type of gamer here. So we'll do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> So, well, I think I think it looked a lot today. So, what have you been playing? Um, well, in 1989, <laughs> we already that's talked about that. that. I'm aware, and I'm and I'm happy you did. And sooner or later, we have to start playing it online. We have to start yeah. some some uh, games by forum and or by email. Yeah. Well, and if anytime you want to play uh, Twilight Struggle, I'm happy to. Not, I won't even have to really teach you that. There's just a couple minor nuance differences. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, I just need, yeah, I just I, I I got a copy right after 1989. 
Mm. Yeah, to me, it's going to be the other way around. Actually, you know, the fact that the two games are so similar, and I liked 18, 1989, that immediately convinced me that I had to play Hell a Struggle. Yeah. Whereas some other people may be turned off by the similarities. Uh, I have no problem with that. Yeah. Again, maybe it's the word gaming mentality. You learn a system, then you play 100 battles in that system. They're just different ways in which, you know, the game is played with minor tweaks on different maps. Exactly. That's something I'm, I'm familiar with. You know, to me it's a plus. Yeah, yeah. For the games, that may be a minus. Right. Yep. Different strokes for different folks. <laughs> yep. Uh, well, you know, one game that I am pleased with, I'll start with the ones I'm liking, <laughs> is a game called Vinos, which is uh, it's a Portuguese uh, winemaking game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a Portugal-based game. I think it's German. But uh, it's a Euro game and with this really gigantic, daunting, overwhelming board. Just tons mm-hmm. of action spaces all over it. And to be frank when i broke the thing out i was like okay i'm scared now <laughs> but uh the rule book is excellently written excellent one of the best rule books i've ever read is it long uh the rule book or the game the, the rule book uh i don't have it in front of me i think it's like t- maybe 15 pages it's around no, it's just, yeah, just to have a general sense you know it's like four or 40 or oh no yeah it's uh it's you know average i guess mm-hmm. um but it's really well written. The examples are laid out. So for every action you can do, there's a nice detailed example. And there's a little bit of, uh, you know, why behind in the rules and, and, and things like that. And uh, in the setup, which, you know, with all the different action spaces on the board can also seem very daunting. The setup explanation is really, really well done. Uh, it's sort of a, it's a unique game. I don't think I've played... Oh, any game like it, because there's basically this all the stuff going on on the board, but there's a central area in the center of the board with nine action spaces. And on your turn, you basically move one of your pawns from one action space to the next that's adjacent to it. So it sort of dictates a, a flow and a sort of uh, algorithm that you have to kind of come up with. Like, first, I'm going to produce wine. Then I'll buy a cellar because that's adjacent to the production wine action. And then I need to work my way down eventually to the bank action so I can go and invest my money or pull money out of the bank and things like that. And they're all kind of, so you have to sort of chain it. I don't know if you're familiar with a Rondell system. Yeah, I was just going to ask, you could set a track. So I was wondering if it was a single, you know, single track, like unidirectional or if it's a Rondell, like an Imperial. Right, it's it's sort of a hyper rondel. It's basically a three by three grid, and you move your pawn e- either you know orthogonally or diagonally adjacent. Now, if you want, you can take your pawn from the upper right corner and take it to the bottom right corner of the grid, but you got to uh-huh. pay extra money to do that. So you can make a jump, oh, which is going to cost you more. And then if there is other players' pieces in a spot... That you the rondelle enters the third dimension. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And if there's other uh, pieces, you know, other uh, opponents' pieces in the spot, you got to pay them money if you want to use their action. So there's a little bit mm-hmm. of gaminess there. Mm-hmm. But it's just really... It's, it's funny thing is, is, it's like I'm not looking forward to explaining it again. So... Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so um, because I, I've, I've always played it with new people so far. Mm-hmm. And I kind of don't want to do that just because 
it's a whole lot to take in. But once you do like a turn of it, you're like, oh, okay, I got mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. there's there's a lots of high strategy and things like that and sort of planning turn by turn. Mm-hmm. But once you play it, it's very simple. Like, okay, I'm gonna choose this action and do this, and then maybe get these bonus actions and things. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of shotgun in that. Both for the idea of pre-planning and you know actions need to be in a certain order, mm-hmm. and the idea of a game that it's pretty linear once you get it started. But when you're just explaining all the actions one by one, people are like, "What?" And it's, it's, again, it's a lot of to take in the first time. Yeah, but I've really been liking that, and I'll probably definitely review that uh, one of these days. I just want to play it a couple more times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... How long does it take to play? Uh, well, it's placed two to four players, and I've only played it with two and three, mm-hmm. and it took a little over two hours with two, again, mm-hmm. that's after rules explanation, and then it took about that long with three, and that's, I don't include the rules explanation in that, but, uh, it's, it's about, it says two to three on the box, I think, and I think that's probably really accurate. It's mm-hmm. only six turns long, um, mm. But, you know, when a player takes their turn, they can take a minute or two to do their turn because there's a lot you can, a lot of options. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it, you know, the other thing that I really like about it is it's actually very thematic for a Euro. Even not for a Euro. I mean, it's just thematic anyway. Because mm-hmm. every, every turn you have different weather. Um, so the production of your wine may be greater or less. Uh, and, you and it affects everybody. So you've got to sort of plan for that. And mm-hmm. on the years when you're going to be producing extra good wine, you need to think of that because when you go to sell or sort of trade in higher value wine, you're going to have different options are going to be better for you than if you, you know, have crappy wine that year. Can we say crappy? Mm-hmm. I think it's crappy. Um, so it, you're, you're going to have to take tack your turn a little bit differently that way. And yeah, it's cool. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. Sounds like it. Yeah. Um, so then I'll, let me talk about a couple games I have not enjoyed since I enjoyed uh-huh. that. Um, actually I had a review copy provided through 2D6, um, of Power Grid First Sparks. And hmm. I'm a huge Power Grid fan. And this game is, uh, hmm. <laughs> it's not good. It's, I don't think it's very good at all. And uh, actually, how, how is that possible? How is that possible? I mean, it's because it's very different from Power Grid. I mean, it's a... It, it loosely uses some of the exact same mechanics uh, with uh, buying technology cards, uh, you know, to mm-hmm. produce, in this case, goods instead of energy. Um, and it also has sort of the same sort of gaminess with uh, going first or going last and things like that. So there's a lot of similarities, but they took out auctions. They took out any meaningful sort of route blocking you can put these cavemen all over the board but it's like there's no like uh you know power grade like from certain one city to another city there'll be you know it costs you a certain amount of money uh, mm-hmm. and things like that but this one is like okay you put a guy on one space and it costs you extra food if somebody else is there and if there's a mountain there or something but the board is so just tight like, like you just have to move the guys out anyway so you've just got to spend the food anyway. There's no real thinking involved. Oh, I see. And there's no auctions. And and you just like put a card up for bid and whoever wants it gets it kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, well, it's, I mean, yeah, if you take, yeah. If you take the auctions away from Power Grid, then that definitely is a different game. Yeah. 
and it's just like you know in power grid i feel like a curmudgeonly old utility ceo you know trying mm-hmm. to exploit these cities for money and you know and you kind of exploit your competitors a little bit mm-hmm. and this is just like okay this turn i get six food and then okay now i've got to spend some food and next turn i'll get eight food and then i get some more food and i get some more. it's like there's nothing to it Mm-hmm. You know, it's like game for game's sake, pure game. For, that's you know, if there's anything wrong with Euro games, it's that. Just games mm-hmm. have a game. Oh, I came up with a cool mechanic. Here's the game. That's yeah, 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 yeah. And nothing wrong with it. And and those games have a place. And they're in the, if they're light and you know take an hour, great. It's a, it's an entertaining hour. But it's like, oh, I don't expect me to call it a good game then. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> especially if it presents itself as something as similar as belonging to the family of a game that is very different is very good then you sort of like you know you're you're presenting yourself up for a comparison you know you're asking people to compare you know yeah but that's kind of like the, 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 yeah it can backfire you know if you decide to compare yourself to something very good then people are gonna compare it to a very high standard and that may or may not work Maybe at they you know they presented the game with a different theme, uh, without a power power grid thing. Mm-hmm. You know he would not expect that something related to power grid in a way. Maybe it would have been a different experience. Yeah, and it, maybe it wouldn't have gotten published. <laughs> That's there you go. That's another point. But is you know do does every game need to be published? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I guess not. You say one one you say one problematic question leads to another. <laughs> yeah so th- so that's one i did not care for I actually send that to enrico uh, callendale on um mm-hmm. uh, board game geek and he mm-hmm. did a very very thoughtful review of it as he always does he does you know he did his playthrough of it and then he finally posted his review of it tonight i think i watched it a little while ago and uh very thoughtful i don't I don't think he particularly cared for it, but uh, if you want to know his full thoughts, you know, he's very, uh, 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 I don't want to say long-winded, but he's, because he's not, he's just, you know, very thorough and, yeah, very much. Sometimes it takes a little bit to build up the insights. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I I absolutely like his style. It's it's very unique. I know that not everybody, you know, that he may like that, but I definitely like his style. I definitely like what he has to say and how he says it. Absolutely. <laughs> Somebody else doing things that way probably, you know, would not work. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's, well, uh, I'll have to check out that review. I know I love his war game reviews. Definitely. Right. I, I do find them, you know, to be some of the most insightful war game reviews around there. Some of the ideas, you know, some of the cons that it introduces there then. I, you know, I use when I'm playing games. Say, oh, look at this! Other game works exactly like Enrico said that that other game worked. Mm-hmm. Actually, one of his reviews recently that I saw recently about Africa Court, um, which is a certain game that you know has all the things that may look thematic, but then it turns out that the mechanics, uh, you know, sort of like take a major role and become chess-like. Becomes about controlling that hex rather than applying force. And and then I was playing recently a victory point game, Operation Raidable, uh, which is not a bad game. It's just sort of like, I was like, damn, this works exactly. I said, damn, is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> Darn. This plays exactly like Henrico said. You know, the, his analysis of that of the game allowed me to clarify my own impressions about a completely different game that I was playing. 
So it's mm-hmm. just, yeah, I really, really like his reviews, and I, I take a lot, I, I gain a lot from from his reviews. Yeah, and just to uh, talk more about Enrico, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I was watching a review of his, and it was about, oh, was it the Compass Games has a couple of card-driven games, and okay, it was the Spanish. There's a Spanish one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that was from last year, and then there was a new one from I think it's called the God Kings. Yeah, something which like I that. I have, but have not played yet. Yeah, and sort of, uh, I think he, uh, not just to paraphrase, which is hard to do, is that um, he kind of liked the games, but they kind of missed the mark a little bit for him in mm-hmm. the fact that they were uh, a little bit lighter on the lighter side for a CDG, and especially with the God Kings, it almost like it covered too much time, mm. uh, too you know, too much actual time. And I thought mm-hmm. that was really interesting because I was thinking about that when I was playing 1989 and how condensed that is. You know, it's one year. And, and that year is divided in different phases. Right. But all of the little details and nooks and crannies are, mm-hmm. you know, they come through in the game. And I think you're able to, to it seem, I think I agree with him that in a smaller time frame, the CDG is probably better suited because mm-hmm. the impact of these events and sort of the uh, butterfly effect of the events are are more apparent and more dramatic. Whereas if you go over a long period of time and an event happens and it's so dramatic, but it's mixed in with all of these other events, it doesn't quite seem as realistic because it's like, well, why was this event so much more important mm-hmm. than these other events? And then if, if it, that is the case that it was, it kind of makes the game feel sort of out, the, out of kilter. Um, that's kind of a general statement, but I just thought I would bring that up. It was an interesting thought. Well, that's kind of what I, exactly, that's kind of what I like. There are some, you know, general concepts, general ideas that formulate in such a way that then I can, you know, I can use somewhere else. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. The general statements, exactly, you know, I find them insightful because they can, you know, shed, shed light on, on other games that he did not necessarily mention. Right. And if he ever listens to this, he's probably going to be uncomfortable. Because remember when he was Geek of the Week, he did not necessarily like too much the spotlight. And people said, oh, congratulate me. And everybody was like, congratulations. I was like, no, I told you not to to say this. And people unabashedly kept congratulating him and he continued complaining about it. Okay, let's talk about another game that I did like and I'm quite enjoying. And it seems like every last person that I've played this with loves it. Uh, it's Lords of Waterdeep, and I know people have probably heard enough about this game, but I've played this with sort of two groups of gamer friends of mine, and then also with my family, and I was actually surprised that my family liked it, uh, just because uh, they like Euros and things like that, but I wasn't sure if the fantasy thing would go over well with them. Uh, but they did like it. I did. I will say that I held the box from the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> it's this Dungeons and Dragons on the bottom, and I so I showed it to them, and I said, and they said, oh, what's that about? Because I had you know brought some other games over, and uh, I said, well, it's kind of like Game of Thrones, <laughs> because they're big Games of Thrones fans. They're they're kind of catching up on the TV show, but they read the uh, the books, and I says you're sort of these lords in this town, sort of like King's Landing, which is the main city in Game of Thrones, and. You're trying to vie for control and scheme and things like that. And they're like, sweet, let's play that. <laughs> and so they played it and they absolutely adored it. And it's, I find that it's a game 
uh, it's not like the most strategic game in the world, I guess, but it's kind of in the same vein as like Stone Age, if you're familiar with that. It's just sort of a nice, light, you know, strict Euro worker placement. You can kind of do some fun things. And it's just an enjoyable, it plays really quick. And there are little decisions kind of strewn throughout the game uh, that are important. You can't just go to sleep on the thing, but it's not uh, it's not going to hurt your brain at all. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've really enjoyed it. And I've, I've seen some complaints, you know, by different folks on BoardGameGeek. You know, maybe they're they're on this podcast, maybe they're not, <laughs> but that the game is not thematic. Now, I will agree that the game is not the most thematic thing in the world. This is personal. This is personal, but uh, I think the game actually is. It's more thematic than I expected it to be. Let's say that, because on the quest cards, and uh, there's tons of reviews on Lords of Waterdeep. If you haven't heard of it, just go watch a review. But uh, on the quest cards. You basically are turning in cubes to get points and other things. And my impression going into the game was like, God, it's just like, you know, trading cubes for points, cubes for points. But in fact, the quests are actually mechanically thematic. So one example is, let's say you've got like a warfare quest and you've got to hire some people to go and kill a dragon or something. I think it was a beholder, the one I'm thinking of. And... So you hire like some rogues, which are some black cubes, and some warriors, which are some orange cubes, and maybe a wizard, and pay some money. And they go in, and then you turn it in, and, they, and the quest happens, and you get the reward for it, which is some points. And then you get uh, two orange cubes back, and it's sort of like, oh, well, they must have been the only ones that survived the quest. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's kind of little things like that throughout all the different quests, where like one is that you take over a rival house of thieves or something. So you you do a bunch of turn a bunch of cubes and you get a whole bunch of black cubes, which are the rogues. And so that can be used to, if you have another quest that requires black cubes, you can kind of do them in order so you can get them done quicker and then get more points and, you know, move further ahead. So there's things like that, that are just, you know, they're fun. Now there is random, you know, based on which cards you draw and things like that. And, and, you know, they have these intrigue cards that you can play sort of against players or, but it's just mm-hmm. it's just very well produced and very well done. And the one thing I think about it is that uh, maybe is being missed so far is that this is perfectly for Wizards of the Coast target audience, and that's Magic players, you know, mm. and and Dungeons and Dragons players, obviously. And so and it's sort of a gateway into Euros possibly for them. And I could definitely see, you know, Magic players loving this game, where you know you get you get a nice hand of intrigue cards and you kind of play them as effects on people, and there's a little bit of screwage, not a whole lot, and and it plays you know in an hour, and it's quick and it's there are some strategic decisions and tactical decisions to make. Now, as a guy that plays you know games like Venos, <laughs> it's nothing like that at all, or Kalis or something, but it's for those types of folks. And if I can take a game like that and I'm over at their house or they're over at my house and I don't want to play Magic and they don't want to play Venos, when we can, together, we can play Lords of Waterdeep. Hmm. Anyway, that's that's another game that I've, I've really been liking. You're, you are so wrong. <sighs> I'm not. I am not. I know, I know Lance hates it, right? Well, if if you have never played a Euro game before in your entire life... Right. Then, 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 then I can see, I can get why people would 
would enjoy Lords of Waterdeep. Other than that, it is it is the blandest of the bland cube collecting turned into victory point engine games I have played in a long time. The theme does not match up well. I mean, yeah, you're saying, oh, and these are the warriors that survive. I mean, <laughs> this game, you're fine, but you know what? Then, but you could make it about anything. It could be about, uh, you know, stock options. It could be about a vacuum salesman. It could be about, uh, you know, sea creatures. It could be, the, 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 this is a game that the, somebody had sitting on a shelf. There isn't, there isn't a single mechanic in the entire game that is innovative in any way, shape or form. Um, you know, it's just like, intrigue cards oh it's it's a game that has cards that slightly you know uh let you break the rules in some way uh, you know i mean the quests are just you know that those things that you need to turn in so you can get your points by turning in a you know a, a handful of cubes and some money chips i mean it's it's a solid design i mean it's it's got no glaring weakness in any way shape or form but i mean if you have played any euros you've played this game already mm-hmm. and i don't i don't get why people are just going bat bat poop crazy over it like they are i mean i just i don't know i think i think it's i think it's a lot to do with the fact that it's supposed to appeal to us because it's a it's a dungeons and dragons zero and so people are kind of buying into it a little bit more than they should and I think I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just the the year of the light game, and people just don't want to have to think when they're making the game. I mean, I don't I don't know. Oh, I won't argue with that. It's the year of the light one hour euro. That's that's driving me crazy. But um, I'm, I I cut this one slack because if I can pull people in that will never touch a game where you build a castle or whatever, um, and I and I can enjoy it, you know, enough. Then a game gets kudos for me for that. But I get I what know. you're saying. I get what you're saying. I mean, it's an yeah. hour. It's an hour of, of not having to really make a tough decision. And I've got. I guess I've gotten to the point where I'm not trying to be a gaming snob, but I mean, I, I need a game to give me a moment where I I I can't decide what's the optimal move. And there is absolutely nothing like that in Lords of Waterdeep. You, you, it gets to your turn, you look at what you have, you look at what's on the board, bam, you know what you're going to do. Yeah. Plus, the whole thing about there's, there's, there's not enough spaces. I mean, which is okay, fine, whatever. But if you, it, it, it's a completely different game if you play it with two people as opposed to the max number of players. I mean, oh, because, yeah, absolutely. And, and, there's, there, and there's no scaling. They, they didn't even try to scale. They didn't even try to take some of the spots off or anything like that. And that's just that to me means that's it, just lazy. I mean, uh, you know, it's like you play with two people. The world's your oyster. Everything is available. You can take anything you want. You play it with the five. It's a five player game, right? Yeah, five. You play with five. By the if you're the last player, you're you're boned in the, at the beginning, the first few turns of the game because you just don't get to use all your workers. No, it's just, see, I disagree with that. I think the games are definitely different, but. It just becomes a different optimization issue to me. Okay, explain to me. But, explain to me how, if you're the last player in the first turn of that game, how you just don't get to place a worker, you know, but everybody else is going to. How how is that different optimization? You well, you just it, won't. There isn't enough spots. Sure, there is. In the no, first there, turn of the game. Yeah, I played, go, played it with five people the other day, and we had enough spots. 
No, 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 no. Then, then you know, either I'm playing it completely wrong or something like that. But I mean, because the, the the thing is, is that you can. There's those three spots on the board, if I remember correctly. There's the three spots on the board that like you get to take your your guy back afterwards. Yeah. The, uh, the, the three the intrigue spots. But yeah. I mean, I'll I'll go I'll go drag my 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 game board out here and I'll discuss this with you because, but you you only get to build one building. Right. So, so there's no buildings out there for people to put 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 any workers on, and here, hold on, I'm I'm gonna get my game board out here. I, I'm staring at the game right now, and if because hold on uh, while we pause while Lance gets this game. I've no, got mine too, actually. And you know what? And and if I'm if I'm wrong about this, then I'll 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 eat one of my cards to this game if if I'm wrong. Eat one of the mandatory quests. Yeah, eat one of the. I'll eat the one with the orb on it because that orb. Oh, anyway, don't get me started. Yeah. But hold on. All right. I'm looking at my game board. So there's no buildings to everybody, start off. Everybody gets two workers. Everybody gets two workers. All right. So count them up ten spaces. Just hold on, dude. I'm getting this stuff out of here. <laughs> Sorry. By the way, I play two Euro games per year, so I don't know if I qualify to the category the lands described. I mean, Marco, I think you would like this one actually. It's got the fantasy theme, and that was the point. So at this point, I, I don't know if it does it or not have a fantasy theme, and I guess I'll have to check it out for myself. I know that I have had mixed feelings about the fantasy game that I didn't find very thematic recently, and that was Dragon Rampage. Okay, okay, okay. I, I'm. I'll say this. I'll say this. I'm wrong about the first thing, but I I know I'm wrong about the being being the first turn of the game. But I I know when I've played this, hmm. uh, it's been it's been a few weeks. I know when I've played this because uh, I, I somebody there's one guy in our group that, that that loves this game, and and he basically held us hostage. We had to play it recently, <laughs> but I got to a certain point. Uh, see now you're gonna now I have to admit, Joel, you're right as far as that goes, yeah. but. Uh, you get to a point in the game where I don't know. It just it you're if turn order becomes a little bit too important in my opinion because it and I I I don't mind turn orders in games. I don't I don't mind you know it's it's one of those things where not to get on a mechanic and I'm I'm going to sub reference. I'm not going to get back to what I'm originally want to say. I I I like games where when you have to use a worker to kind of like improve your turn order, I want it to be like really detrimental to do that. I don't want it to be like a a really um uh obvious decision because yeah. it's like it's so much better to go first kind of thing. Sure. And and in this game going first is super important because especially depending on what the cards come out and what and what what what's available to you. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, see now, see, I'm just going to pause it, pause, pause it here. Hold on a second. <laughs> I'm not pausing it. I'm leaving it in. <laughs> Shut your mouth. You're pausing it. He makes the decisions. Yeah, I'm technical lead on this one here. <laughs> you challenge the leader, Vance, the city guy. <laughs> uh, That's funny. No, I agree that uh, going first is very important in this game, but it's also important in, in Ocalus. Um, but look, look, I'm not I'm not 100% disagreeing with you that the game is sort of fluffy and light. I totally agree, but I fall on the side of giving it a thumbs up because of all the reasons I said you know 10 minutes ago. But 
Oh, well, like I said, if you've never played a Euro game before, you're going to love this game. But uh, how many people on this earth have not played a Euro game before? A lot more than a half. <laughs> a lot of people that are going to buy this game because it's got Dungeons and Dragons on the side of it. Yeah, exactly. So, good. so, so for that, but, but I don't understand why uh, people that have played tons of Euros are like saying, "Oh, this is a great game." And I just, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm like I said, maybe I'm now I'm a Euro snoot or something because. Well, I don't know how much how much uh, legs this will have. Like, say, in a year from now, will I really want to break out Lords of Waterdeep? Uh, depends, you know. Um, I used to play Settlers of Catan all the time, and I traded it long ago. You know, whatever. I, can I have a copy of that on shrink wrap on my on my on my wall that I picked up for ten dollars like a couple years ago. I have no desire to play it. I don't know why I even bought it. Yeah. Amazon had it on sale for like ten bucks for like an hour two years ago. Yeah, so. I hate that game. I mean, not for not. I'm not saying it's a bad game. I just hate it. How dare you? That guy made Lowenhers or whatever it is. <laughs> you're, you're the, the game you sleep with every night. So. Hey, no, nobody's perfect. Yeah. Well. No, I'm not saying it's a bad game. I just hate it. I mean, I hate Puerto Rico and Ticket to Ride. So. I'm, I'm Which is the space? What is the space that determines uh, the, the the turn order in in in, in Lord of the you What? Draw, you draw an intrigue card. Oh, that's right. You take the first player marker and draw the intrigue card. Now, okay, so here's here's my here's my question. This is this is one of the things I didn't like about this. Now, am I or am I not right that entry cards are good, right? I mean, they're they're, they're yeah. good card to have. They're they're they're, they're yeah. powerful. They're interesting. Mm-hmm. And um, there's nothing to prevent the person who takes the first player card from maintaining that and by just making sure they take the castle again when their turn comes around. Now, that it may not be the most optimal move every single turn, but they can just do that until, you know... That's like, a waste they, of a worker, though, man. I mean, you got to be getting cubes and stuff. Well, I understand that, but, I mean, at a certain point, especially when you, like... It not not right away at the very beginning no but later on like if you get like lieutenant or or what's that other thing the administrator or whatever Fantastic. when you when you got when you got a worker to burn mm-hmm. I don't know I I just we've played games like that where somebody's just maintained that first player mm-hmm. and maybe maybe it's just because I think I was like the fifth player and he was directly to you know my left <laughs> yeah. so I was just boned every single time so when I got yeah. back there was nothing available for me yeah. and so like three turns of that go by and you're just like well, this is freaking pointless. I mean, yeah. I, I have nothing available for me. I don't know. It's no, I just see that sucking for sure. It, it just it seems like there's and then like like I said that that orb quest that I, I talked to you about that earlier. Yeah. You know, it's just there's one quest in the game that gives whoever completes it the ability to use a spot on the board that's already been used. And there's nothing else in the game that even equals that power that, that a single user can have. I do agree. And, and, and if you, if you get to the beginning and there's, there's like actually like a, somebody I mentioned and I agree <laughs> I played a game where a person got that quest like right away. And admittedly, this isn't going to happen a lot, but yeah. they got that. And then they had the secret role that was the person who had the most buildings Uh-oh. got, points and so well they just they built a building every single turn <laughs> oh well free points they're just like you know just just you know they didn't even have to think about when their when their turn came up it was just oh, build a building no, that's, build. that's probably the most deadly combo in the game actually if you get that quest and you have that role i do not think that you could you could lose unless you played horribly and, but, and yeah it's but just, how and, often is that going to happen well, it sure didn't happen, but I mean, I don't know. Would you say that then, you know, if that, 
uh, if that ability is 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 sitting out there, if that's a possibility of something that somebody can have, I mean, would you say then that? that I don't know, like one out of fifteen games, maybe one out of ten, one out of twenty. You know, should that even exist? Should should that should should you have a situation that like that occurs and the person the first the, the round one or round two of a game, you know, it's just like oh well now we got to finish this off even though we know this person is going to win. I don't know. We're I not going to know because that role is secret. Well, I know that. <laughs> even better. Oh look, I played a game and I had no chance of winning because I had no idea what you had, but you 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 were just you know hammering me the the entire game. I yeah. you know and then and then and and maybe. This is another. This is totally unrelated to the actual gameplay, and, and this is. But I think I just got sick and tired of everybody talking about how great the insert was of that game. Oh, I mean, it's well, just like, yeah. who cares? Who cares? You know, I ditched it. I, I mean, I, I, I like I ditch every single insert, and I put everything in, in in plastic baggies, like I do for all of my games, I, because I hate inserts. I hate them. I put I put uh, I put magic tape around the cards, and I and then and then I make sure each baggie. And this is this is kind of showing my kind of anal retentive side of this. But I make sure each baggie has like everything that every player needs to start the game. These are your starting workers. These are your starting items, and everything. And so I can just hand those out at the beginning of the game because it cuts down on 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 setup. But everybody is talking about, oh my gosh, this insert is so amazing! It's so great! It's like it's a piece of plastic. I mean, sure, great, fine. They put some time and effort into making a good insert, but I mean, reviews spending paragraphs and and people just gushing about it. I just, I don't know. I'm gonna do a video review of just the insert now. <laughs> I, I, you know, what? go for it. And you know what? It is. It's an amazing insert. But I mean, I just, I just don't understand why why people would just like that was like a focus point for a lot of people. It's like I, 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 I closed it up and I shook it and only two things came loose. It's like, mm-hmm. oh god. I think what? the in- insert is awesome, but the only thing that's a pain in the butt is putting those uh, coins and stuff back in. Boy, what a pain in the butt that is. Yeah, you know how it's easy to put them in a plastic bag. Exactly. I was like, I'm gonna bag these suckers one of these days. It's All late. Right. Maybe I'm just grumpy. I don't know. But no, I, 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 appreciate, I appreciate you calling me out on that on that on that worker thing. Cause, but there was, man, I got it. Now I got to go back and play it a couple more times. You just doomed me to come more places. Oh, I have to apologize. replicate what was going on. Cause I maybe it was that same game that I was just I was just boned and on, I was on the last player every single turn. It was like. And I didn't get to use all my workers or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Hmm. It That's wasn't weird. an enjoyable session. Yeah. Well, you know, and that kind of thing can sour people on a game, too. It's That's the, kind of the elusive thing with these games, you know. People kind of get on reviewers and stuff for different reasons. And it's like, dude, it's a game. If I play with people that are jerks, the, I'm going to think the game sucks or whatever. And that's just, that's just I'm sorry, that's just, that can happen. And it's it's a shame. But, you know what I mean? It's all part of the all part of the the game. <laughs> no, and, and, and for, for for people that I just I just poo pooed on your like favorite new game of of, of 2012. Oh wait, hold on now. Let's right, back up a minute here. That's not my favorite game of the year. I like it a lot. If, if I poo pooed on you and Joel's favorite game of 2012, Lords of Waterdeep, just you know, send all hate mail to undeadvikingvideos <laughs> at gmail.com and I will read every single one and I'll giggle and you'll be right. 
And the thing is, is that I'm I have a video review that I've I'm gonna upload for it, and and um and I in my video review I, I I give it a fair shake. I just it's just not for me, and and I, I I'm much more uh, volatile right now on this podcast than I am during my actual review. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's it's just it's it's not deep enough for me, and it just it just seems like. I don't know. It just, it just seems like it's a very, very, very simplified Euro and it's very, very light. And, uh, and I just, uh, I, I want, I want to play something more meaningful. I want to play something that makes the challenges me. And this one just doesn't. Fair enough. I agree. <laughs> so but Lance, you know what? Oh, I'm going to talk about what I've been playing lately please, and it hasn't do. been a water deep. What has it been? Well, it's been like lots of games lately. Well, I'm going to mention a couple right off the bat because I have uh, Kickstarter videos coming out for both of them. Um, one, I, I, I'm, I'm a little sad because uh, I don't know if they're going to be able to meet their goal uh, because they're, they've only got about a week left. Um, and it's a pretty good game. It's called Titans of Industry. And I got sent this. And um, I was hoping to upload that later tonight after this podcast was done. But it's getting pretty late. So I'll probably have to be tomorrow. Uh, but um, Titans Industry, it is a uh, worker placement game set in the 1920s. Uh, the idea is that each player is an entrepreneur um, trying to uh, buy factories, uh, take said factories to, to create goods, take goods, uh, bring them to, uh, you know, it, 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 you're just in the back of your head. I can just hear everybody going, cue pusher. But um, if it is, and the thing was, it's really weird. It it it's for the, all the things that I, I I just I just trashed on Lords of Waterdeep for as far as like uh, not being innovative or anything like that. Uh, uh, Titans of Industry, I, I really don't. I, I didn't find anything about the game to be anything I hadn't already encountered. Um, it has a slightly interesting uh, uh, method of determining uh, first player. Uh, because of the fact that um, uh, instead of just usually with the first player track, um, like when you put your worker down there so you can make sure that you uh, get to choose, uh, you know, first or whatever, you actually um, you get to pick your spot instead of, of just uh, going to like the head of the class, if you will. Because sometimes you actually will want to uh, like pick second and, and so forth, you know, and, and so because of, uh, for just various reasons. So I, I found that kind of interesting. So like you can kind of jockey yourself instead of just going right to first player, but, um, it is, it, it the, 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 the mechanics aren't, aren't really innovative in any way, but, um, what I found about the game was that it was really, really competitive. Um, it was, it was another one of those great euros where you never have enough turns, never have enough actions, uh, to uh, do everything you want, so you find yourself uh, weighing your options um, in between uh, during your turn, as far as like trying to optimize. And like, I really like games like that where I'm I'm being forced to think. Um, I, I it also has a, a usually uh, games of like worker placement. Um, there's two things about worker placement games. I really like the mechanic, but I, the thing that I don't like is that it, it always seems like if you can get another worker, do it because it, it just seems like that's like the most, uh, straightforward strategy. The more workers you have more actions and you're just, it, it, it's never a bad strategy, but, um, I like this one because 
in order to get another worker, you have to actually like uh, thematically, um, you're sending uh, uh, your worker uh, to a a like uh, university or, or a, a school basically, and they're taking uh, some unwashed masses uh, person and they're training them to do their job, kind of thing. And so, but they have to stay there for two turns. So not only do do so, you're losing an action the next turn but then mm. after that you get to take your guy back and he brings one back with him so you you have to kind of weigh uh you know can i go next turn without somebody mm, that uh, sounds cool yeah and, and, you know, and so it's it's and and it, this is a game that only has like seven turns so i mean it's just like it's it's one of those things where it's like will it be better for me to do it now or not and i really like that i i mean i so it wasn't just one of those really really standard straightforward it's like oh another guy yeah give him give him give him give him, give him you know and and which it seems like that's like all uh worker placement games have that so I, it's like i said it's not really innovative but i mean all of my friends in my game group really like it and these are guys who have played worker placement games to death i mean they they played kalos and they played agricola and they've you know they played that stuff and then we played this and it was a game that we ended up playing like two or three times in the first night we dug it out because we were really really enjoying um everything i mean it's it's got a good mixture of stuff i mean it's got I mean, because the whole game is is it's slowly it's one of those games where your engine kind of ramps itself up and then it ends before you really ever get it going. I mean, which is how those games should work, because the last if once your once your economics or resource collection engine is going really well, um, you don't you, 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 you don't have to keep it running because the the buildup is what's important. And. And so after the the seven turns, it just kind of ends, and it, it, you feel kind of like uh, what's we're looking for? It's like it's like you feel like uh, it feels unfinished, but it, but it but it, it's a good feeling because it's you know it's because you 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 you're always like oh if I had just had one more turn I would have been so much better, but you just don't get that, and, and I like that about the game too. It's very challenging. So, but sadly, um, you know, I mean, they've only got to about 60% of their goal. And, um, I mean, I, I'm going to come up with this review and, and I'm hoping people listen to this podcast and go check it out and see if it's something they want to get. But um, I'm hoping that uh, they do get it published. But if they don't, I hope they revamp and they, they go back to the drawing board and they, they submit it again. And hopefully they can uh, get to that point because it is it, – it's a very fun game. And I uh, – and um, it's what it, I've been finding lately – a lot of the games I've been playing is like after like the five or six or seven range, I get bored of it and I just haven't been playing it. And I haven't had uh, games lately that I can play, you know, the good 10, 15, 20 times. It seems like uh, finding that that jam in the rough has been really tough lately. And this is definitely a game that I've you know played now a good 10 times and I've, I've enjoyed it um, every single time. So, uh, uh so, yeah, there you go. That's one. And then the other uh, game that um, Joel is uh, jealous of, um, oh. uh, <laughs> it, uh, Tammany Hall, which um, I don't technically own a copy of the game. Um, uh, Pandasaurus Publishing or it got the rights. Uh, Tammany Hall is a game that came out, I think, wasn't it 2003? Nine? Two, Three? No. No, no. I, it, it's it, no, it's an older game. It's like maybe it's uh, 2007 or 2006 or something. 
I could look it up, but I'm lazy. Um, but it came out and had an extremely limited print run. Um, it was like an older first edition white box that uh, that. If you look at it, it doesn't look really nice. Then they actually came out with a Stratamax Games actually came out with a very nice looking, uh, uh, like Euro looking game. You know, it, it actually looks very much like a Martin Wallace game. The, the picture of Boss Tweed on the front and well, they and did the production for it actually. They have a partnership, uh, Tree Frog and them. Uh, so yeah, they helped out with the uh, Stratamax. Uh, they've done some other Stratamax stuff too. So. Thanks. Thank I'll just you. let you. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, so um, uh, so the 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 man behind the man behind the man or whatever at at Pandasaurus Games uh, did a Kickstarter, which is fully funded now for Tammany Hall, which is great because this is a game that like has been out of print for so long, and anybody who want you know when you had a copy, it was like you know I I I I wanted it really bad, but I couldn't bring myself to to drop you know the money that was wanted for it and um anyway the 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 publisher uh, of 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 the game pandasaurus uh contacted me and he he asked me if i'd be willing uh to do a review of it and i said well that's cool but i don't have the game and here you know and he said well i'm gonna send you my personal copy of the game um you know do a review of it and then uh you're gonna send it off to another reviewer and he's gonna have it kind of go to uh, a few i think a half dozen reviewers and, and they're all going to, and I was lucky enough to be the first one. So, um, and that's another review I'm hoping to get uploaded this weekend as well. But, uh, it's, it's, it's a fantastic game. And, and the thing is, is that, um, if you've never played it, uh, you know, I don't know. It, it's, it's so, it's so awesome because there's so it's, it's so simple. Uh, but it, it, it's, it's so deep. Uh, and I say that in my reviews a lot, simple, but deep, simple, but deep. Um, the game relies on the interaction between the players, uh, to, to make it fun. And, and, and the thing is, is that if I had never, um, if I played this game prior to Dominant Species, I would have said this game, I would say Dominant Species totally reminds me of Tammany Hall. And, and, uh, but now I'm kind of, uh, reverse engineering it, even though, uh, Tammany Hall was out first, um, it's it's kind of like the whole thing. You're you're controlling areas of 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 the of of New York, and um, you're populating the areas of New York with the different uh, ethnicities. There's uh, Germans and Irish and English and Italians, and um, when you uh, and as you as you placing uh, these random cubes that come out of this bag um, on your turns, you're placing these into these different uh, wards of the of of, of the city, basically uh, you know little um, like you know, blocks of the city, if you will. Uh, and then you get to you get to if you place uh, so basically you're you're allowing these immigrants to come into New York, and so thematically then you get um, you get a little chip of that color, and that's the political favor. So like you're gaining political favor with you know the Italians or the Irish or, or what have you. And then uh, after you've done four turns, which is like four years, you have these elections. And then each one of these wards, um, depending on where you've placed your workers, and they aren't really workers, they're just called ward bosses, and you have tons of them. You never can run out of them. It isn't like really a worker placement game. You're just using these to uh, signify what influence you have. And as you place these down in these locations, then each person 
that has uh, a ward boss in in a in a in a ward of, the, of, of New York, basically a, like a part of the city blocks or whatever. Uh, each person then totals up how many bosses they have in that area. And so each one of those is worth one vote. And then they look at the, the different colors of the different immigrants. They have different colored cubes, and there's like four different colored cubes for each uh, of those German, uh, English, uh, Italian, and Irish. And for each one of those cubes that are in there, it doesn't matter. The number of the cubes doesn't doesn't matter, but the colors do. The numbers will matter later, but the colors do. If you have a political favor chip that matches the color of uh, one of those you, uh, one of those uh, cubes that are in that spot, you can use the political favor chips in a blind bid to garner votes. Basically, saying, "Okay, I'm turning in my political favors and I'm getting these these votes." And so, and then each person who's had it, they they put these chips. And so, like if it, there's like say white and green in there, and I have white and green discs, I can spend as many of those as I want in in a blind bid for voting. So you you kind of total it up, and you say, well, is he going to bid three? Is he going to bid two? Is he going to bid one? I've got two. And then each person kind of in like if you play Game of Thrones, you know, like when you do the blind bid in Game of Thrones, the board game, you put the chips in your hand and you put them out, and then it reveals them at the same time, and then you determine who got the most votes, and then whoever controls that spot uh, leaves one of their little ward bosses in the show they control it, and everybody else takes theirs back. And then you have a vote, and you do that for every single ward. So, and it, it's very scripted which way you go. And then you determine who controls what. And then each person who controls a spot gets one victory point, basically just because you control that. And then the person who controls the most wards becomes the mayor of the city for the next term. Okay. And then the mayor gets to hand out. Uh, the political offices, the deputy mayor, the police chief, and all these other places, and each of those have like these these abilities that they can use going forward. The mayor doesn't have any abilities; they just get extra victory points. So he has the mayor has to decide who he's going to give to what. So he's like, well, I I'll give you this, but don't hurt me. I'll give you this, but don't hurt me. The game all about that negotiation and backstabbing and saying. I'll do this for you, but don't screw me over. You know, and and so the game actually becomes very, very tight-fisted. And uh, it, I remember somebody telling me like it, it isn't a game for people that uh, have can get their feelings hurt. And and I, I agree with that a hundred percent. It, this is one of those games where people would will will say if they can't handle it, this is a game where people will say like a week later, remember that game where you screwed me over in the last turn? Well, that's the reason why I'm doing this now. You know that 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 revenge tactic weeks later that that everybody frowns upon, but you know it's it's a game of hurt feelings, but uh, but great tactical decisions. I I I can't speak highly enough about it. Um, if you haven't played it, you 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 deserve it to, to you deserve to play it at least once. You, you should try it out. I don't know. Sounds awesome. I can't uh, can't wait to for it to come and, around. And there's there's and there's no cards. There's no there's 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 nothing about the game. It the game. I mean, if it's all of the instructions are on the board. You don't even have to look at the rules. I mean, it's just it's it's so simple. It it just comes down to to loud arguments and and uh, and backstabbing and and negotiation uh, at the table. That's all it is, and it's just, and it's, you know, and and there's 
it it tells a story and there's just tons of jokes and and threats and and, and it's it's just a really really good time play it with five people if you if you can because right. and you can play with three but three to five but when you play with five it's just everybody's just scrabbling for whatever spots they possibly can get and <laughs> But yeah, I mean that that game is excellent, and I'm I'm really I'm I'm going to be sad after I do my review. I'll have to send it off because I'll I'll want to play it, and I can't. I might actually um try to make a uh, a print and play copy of it because it it wouldn't be too hard to replicate. But um, you know it, that'd be one of the few games that I actually go through the trouble of of, of doing that. So. Uh, but anyway, enough about that. Um, other games, just to quickly uh, touch on that I've been playing. Um, you know, um, well, uh, in in the, in the upper northern Midwest, it is now nice outside. And um, I don't know if anybody else in the area of the world uh, besides uh, us up here, I'm sure it exists in other places, but it was cleanup week recently. Cleanup week is like the whole spring cleaning. You clean out your house and then you take everything that you want to throw away and you go and put it on the boulevard and the sanitation workers will pick up literally anything unless it's like hazardous materials. Um, they, they, they Now they won't pick up so much electronics anymore because of the fact that uh, – um, you know, that stuff like, you know, uh, computers and stuff like that have to be recycled and things like that. But um, if you have furniture, you, you, you put it on your lawn and, and they come and grab it. If you have, uh, um, you know, old washer and dryer, you throw it out there, they come and grab it, you know, stuff like that. So um, my wife and I spent a good week uh, basically gutting our house, just taking everything that we didn't want, throwing it up out there. And one of the things we finally did is we really cleaned out our garage and uh and i know in other places of the world where it's nice outside all year round people use their garages for don't or not even for their cars so much they use it just to uh have i know my brother in las vegas he has his office in his garage they don't park their they haven't parked their cars in their garage in years and um uh in in up here what what my friends and i do is we turn our garages into uh, basically where we hang out with our friends on the weekends and uh, we play poker usually. So I've been playing a lot of poker because everybody's garage is nice and open now and everybody's got a poker table. And and so I've been, I've been playing a lot of, uh, a lot of poker with my friends for, you know, quasi minimal stakes. And, and I, um, I, I, uh, uh, to me, poker uh, and Texas Hold'em is probably um, one of the most pure, uh, uh, gaming experiences. I, 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 um, uh, I think, I think it's, it's, it's probably one of the best games to play, especially when you have a little, uh, well, you have to play it for money because if you don't play it for money and just for fun, everybody's just like, I'm all in, I'm all in, you know, and nobody cares. You just, yeah, like, it's bad. even, even if it's, even if you're, you're playing for, even if it's $5 a guy, and, and and there's and there's like you know ten of you playing or whatever and so like and the winner's gonna get you know forty bucks for their trouble and second place gets ten, you're you're at least, you're at least trying at that point you know yeah. what I mean and, and it's just and so so uh, poker is just nothing nothing better than than uh, you know rivering some guy and on an all in or anything like that it's just that's a good time but you know you got always got to make sure also that uh, once again no hard feelings about it you know but. So I've been playing a lot of that. 
Um, uh, I, my friend of mine's uh, Pathfinder campaign that we've been playing role-playing games um, for a year and a half. That's finally wrapping up. Um, we'll be done with that in a few weeks, and then we'll start another one here. Um, am I the only RPGer out of the three of us, by the way? Yes, well, I don't know our... if you count if you count the the pre-programmed adventures by Dark City Games. So it's like choose your own adventure games with you know a board where you resolve the battles, and those can be played solo as a choose your own adventure book, or you can play them as RPGs. Uh, but they play them as solo, so I don't know if that counts. No, it doesn't. As a, as a solo <laughs> role-playing game player. No, it doesn't. But yeah, but I like the only one. I try. I try. I try. Does uh, Does Skyrim count? No. no. <laughs> I'm talking about sitting down at a table and there's one guy sitting behind a screen and you have your 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 dice and your little figure on the board and you're walking around and you're and you're imagining what's going on in your head. Not uh, sitting there watching Skyrim and eating Doritos, but oh, okay. not that I not not that eating Doritos and playing Skyrim isn't fun. I, I love Skyrim, but um, you know, I just uh, with the pro- programmed adventures, you're imagining things. That's that you have. You just don't have interaction with other people. Yeah, that's 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 kind of sad, actually. But, um... <laughs> no, that's <laughs> not too bad. When the idea is, you know, you don't have the time to play or playing games anyway, so it's that or nothing. It's Still better than nothing. I just it's actually those games are pretty fun in in their own. If you say so. But uh, no, that, that's that's cool. That's cool. Um, no, uh, let me see what else I've been playing. Uh, actually, I've been playing a lot of uh, Sentinels of the Multiverse, actually, hmm. which I adore. Um, you know, and, and I don't usually go in for co-ops, but it just it does it does the superhero genre right. The only thing I don't like about it is I think it's too easy, but. Um, I don't know. Rook City kind of helps out a little bit with that. The expansion makes it a little tougher, which which I appreciate. But and the villains um, in that game are pretty cool. I like the villains in that game. Yeah, the, the Rook, the City. Rook City. Rook City villains. I mean, I like Baron Blade from the first one. I thought I think he's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And um, who's who's the guy that has the uh, the the uh, all the 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 alien minions or whatever? I can't remember that guy's name. Oh. Yeah, 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 I remember his name. Basically, the Thanos ripoff. Um, yeah. I don't know, but yeah, I, I like I, I like him too. But yeah, the Rook City villains I think are, are better, and they're tougher too. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, let me see here. Uh, I've been playing a lot of uh, First and Goal, which is that uh, football dice game because that's just uh, Becca actually plays that with me. So that's kind of a quick fun game to play. Uh, Thunderstone Advance needs an expansion yesterday. Uh, because I love that game, but I'm really getting tired of the cards that are in there. Uh, mm-hmm. Because I, I want I want more cards. I want new monsters. I want new stuff. Um, so demanding. Well, well the thing just... with that is the Thunderstone Advance. It's like it has it has a ton of different, in my opinion, it has a ton of different stuff. Like as far as the 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 heroes and the stuff for the village and and what have you. But it doesn't have enough monsters. It, it just seems like I don't know what is it. I don't know what it is, but it just seems like you know the combinations of the monsters it just is severely lacking. I need I need more. Um, yeah, here especially one plays Thunderstone Advance. Most likely it's somebody who had played Thunderstone before. That means that somebody has been used to have a lot of interchangeability. 
you know, because the Poison Thunderstone already had so many sets and expansions. You know, we're used to, you know, if you play Thunderstone, to, to choose between, you know, a huge variety of monsters. So that I hear how that sense of staleness may, may kick in pretty soon, which I think maybe is one of the reasons why it was released like that. Because yeah. people did love it, fall in love with it, and immediately start craving for more. If an expansion for Thunderstone came out, you know, tomorrow, it would be sold out, you know, very quickly. No. I no, I, I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think I think you might be onto something there. Um, uh, I'm playing Rolling Freight, which is a really cool dice game with really cool dice. Uh, and uh, it's all about uh, trains, which I didn't think would be fun. But uh, I got a review copy of that, like, actually, actually too long ago. I should have done a video of that for a while. But um, Rolling Freight, that's, that's a fun little game. Um, gosh, God, I mean, I, I had these written down somewhere and now I don't have them anywhere because I was just trying to, Core Worlds, I'm playing that, but that needs an expansion like yesterday as well too, mm-hmm. uh, which I've kind of played that out because I don't have any new cards to play, but that's uh, another one of those games where I just, uh, uh, very, very optimization card game, but you know, I've been trying to get away from the card games lately, I don't know, they've just been, I like having that board in front of me, I guess, um, other than that, nothing nothing really is coming to mind. Um, oh, um, what? I can't think of the name of it now. I'm, I'm looking for it on my shelf, and I, I can't uh, I can't see it. Oh, Sunrise City, um, with the giant giant uh, pieces of cardboard. Uh, you guys know what I'm talking about? The oh yeah, the, the kind of, who did that? The the Alien Frontier guys. Yeah, the clever mm-hmm. mojo. Mm-hmm. Um, very very light game, and, and I know this is going to be like going against uh, what I said earlier about light games, but um, I think I give this one a pass because once again, um, uh, my wife plays it because she thinks it's kind of neat stacking all the stuff up and matching the colors. Wait, wait, let me let me stop you. So Sunrise Gets City gets a pass because your wife likes it. Yeah. But Lords of Waterdeep doesn't get a pass because my parents like it. <laughs> well, well. First of all, uh, I'm just um, giving you a hard time, man. No, 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 no. That's a fair. No, man. That that's a totally uh, a fair uh, call out or on me or, or or attempt to punk me out on this. But um, uh, I my defense to that is Sunrise City. It's it's uh, it's it's more of a tile laying game, and I don't expect tile laying games to be very uh, uh, challenging. I don't. I expect yeah, them fair. to be light and 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 easy. And um, and that's what this is. I mean, the game and the game's just kind of cute, and it's like, hey, look, I'm stacking up little colors, you know. And so, and and my wife hears that, she like ripped me apart. But, um, you know, so, but I expect a game with worker placement, I guess, and stuff like that, or Euro, or whatever, to be more in depth. But, mm-hmm. um, Sunrise City, very very enjoyable, very light uh, uh, city building game. Um, gosh, and then there was one other game that I've. Oh, excuse me. I uh, oh, actually, and this is this is totally weird. I didn't. I went over to my buddy's house, um, and like he said, hey, you know, uh, uh, bring some board games over. I want to play some board games. I was like, oh, that's cool. And so I went over there, and uh, the stuff I brought, I don't remember what I brought, but he kind of looked them all over. And there was a couple other guys over there, and they looked them all over, and they none of what I brought over really interested them. 
and so that we kind of went back and forth and I was explaining to the guys, Oh, this one does this. And they're just like, uh, you know, and they couldn't decide. And then my buddy said, you know, I actually have, um, Illuminati deluxe. So, you know, and I, I wanted to play that again for a long time. Would you play that? And like, you know, and I, I was like, Oh, I'll play it. You know, cause I used to play that game a ton when I was younger. And, uh, he said, uh, you know, and then he explained the game to the other guys and they're like, yeah, that sounds like fun. Secret societies controlling the world kind of thing. And I played two games of Illuminati Deluxe, a game that, like, you know, I, I remember caused arguments and, and screaming matches when I was younger. And that game is is a heck of a lot of fun. And I know a lot of people will bag on that game for being all luck based and being very um, bash the leader and 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 you know, it it makes you want to try to cheat and do all these. Mm-hmm mean things to each other but um you know that's that's just a solid game and that's just solid fun as long as uh you don't allow yourself to if you just kind of go into it saying okay nobody cheat we're not going to play with the cheating rules because the cheating rules in that game are you know if you can get away with it go ahead you know you just you we went into it saying nobody cheats uh and uh just play the game straight and and it was it was really enjoyable as far as just kind of like and it is kind of neat when you're making the thing and it's just like oh you know i have the pentagon uh who controls the congressional wives who controls fast food stores and if you know what the game means you know you'll know how those little chains of interesting little fun things happen and and uh the game is just kind of uh fun to play and um you have to and and it makes me sad because they 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 probably would have expanded that that more and done more with it steve jackson games would have if munchkin hadn't just exploded and mm. uh and 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 been been like their cash cow and um and speaking of of munchkin and steve jackson's games and cash cow which i backed uh ogre did either of you guys back ogre oh sure i was one of the backers of the first hour i mean pretty much literally an hour after the thing came out i was backing it already so i'm did proud you, backer did you do the uh did you do the full 150 bucks so you got all the swag I did a hundred bucks. Oh, I'm gonna get all the swag. You're not gonna get uh, the swag. I'm gonna get a lot of stuff. I don't. I don't mind. I, I, I'm okay with the with the huge box and whatever comes with a hundred bucks deal. I just you know. I'm gonna have all the extra enough. counters and the cool T-shirt and the uh, and and the and the canvas bag they're making especially for the game. Hmm? See all those things that are not part of the game you know i cannot really play with a bag i cannot really play with a t-shirt i got a lot of t-shirts uh yeah those those things are not as uh, as crucial to me oh you know what i'm also going to get a pocket version of the game prior to you actually getting your uh your your big ogre game as well there you go you win yeah (laughs) that i concede yes worth the fifty dollars (laughs) yes But yeah, and, and you know, and if Steve Jackson Games is is uh, is is listening to this, congratulations! You guys got almost a million bucks. They ended up at what like nine hundred, like nine hundred and fifty-two thousand or something like that. Which, Amazing. yeah, which you know, which is what like uh, a Munchkin expansion for them. Mm-hmm. But um. No, so they made all that money, and now they're going to remake Ogre, which was a game I used to play at my buddy Jason's house uh, every day after school in junior high a thousand years ago. Um, so, uh, you know, that was uh, it's kind of cool that they're going to redo it. I um, and if Steve Jackson Games is listening, if you get any uh, uh, you know 
copies of the game early that you want to send me for me to, for the purposes of reviewing, you know, by all means, go ahead. Don't send them to Marco though. He doesn't you, like. You hear that silence, Lance? Yeah, that that's that's <laughs> yeah. that's him saying I'm going to sell a billion copies of this with or without what you say. So uh, no chance. But what are you going to do? No, which I think it's cool that they're doing that, though. And I think what's even more cool is the fact now they're going to do redo Car Wars, which I grew up and ate and breathed and showered Car Wars uh, in my in junior high as well. Constantly, there was nothing better than that game um, designing. And do you, either of you guys play Car Wars? Nope, I'm not. Nope, never. Oh. Go to um, I think it's E23 is what what the the website is, and you can you can purchase the PDF of the last Car Wars compendium, which has all the rules, the last good version in my opinion of Car Wars, um, which has all the rules and um, everything that you need to be able to play the game, and it's 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 all miniatures combat technically i mean it technically you used counters you use little tiny cardboard counters that you moved on little grids and um and it was all dice based and it, it was such a fun little system of, as far as like what the handling class of each car was and then you do a maneuver you know like oh i'm gonna make a sharp turn and then and then you would lower your handling class by a certain amount when you did that turn and if you ever if you ever uh, went down low enough on your on your handling class, you'd have to roll on a crash table or a or a skid table, and like bad things could happen to you. And all the while, um, you're driving around this arena or on these streets, and you're playing against everybody else at the table, and you're and you're 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 shooting up each other's cars with the weaponry that you have on your cars. And the probably like the best part of the game, and I remember doing this all the time. We'd have sleepovers. And, you know, it was like 12 years old. We're, we're having sleepovers and we'd, we'd sit up and for two and a half hours, uh, all the not a, we're not saying a word to anybody. And we're just sitting there. We're, we're creating these cars because there's all these things as far as money and weight and space that you had to uh, use to basically these elaborate like what now we'd call spreadsheets. But for us, it was just reams of notebook paper and you'd figure out uh, how much each car weighed and and what components you were oh you know do i want to save some money and buy like tires that weren't as good or you know what weapons do i want to put on you know do i want flamethrowers do i want machine guns you know and and you'd and you'd you'd put these and you'd put them facing the weapons had to face certain ways or if you could get a turret you could put a weapon in a turret so it could face any direction and and then finally after you'd spent like all this time making this 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 car with all this armor and weapons on it you'd you'd go into this arena or wherever it was you were going to fight everyone else and you'd have it blown out from underneath you in like 20 minutes and 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 you but you it was still so much fun and i i i'm so glad they haven't had a a reprint of car wars for far 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 too long i'm gonna guess it's almost 10 years if it isn't 10 years and so kind of sounds like a galaxy trucker you build your thing and then get it blown up <laughs> this don't even compare no, i know <laughs> but, but no, i know what you're saying i know what you're saying I, but um 
you know, the thing is, is that uh, it was, you know, and but it was also kind of a role playing game because you could actually like keep your character that drove the car as long as you didn't die, obviously, <laughs> and um, you know, and, and you could you could improve his skills and 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 you could actually create a storyline and 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 somebody could run the game, if you will. And we actually had Car Wars role playing back then as well. And even if you died, there actually were rules for making clones for your guy. So like if you died, like you you just update your clone and 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 you 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 continue playing. But um, I played uh, play the game Charioteer by um, Two Hour Word Games. I I have not. But let me finish, and you can talk about. Yes. It. But now because they made all this money, they met like a goal at like seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. They're going to have a Kickstarter for Car Wars and. Um, which you know, technically, they probably would have done anyway because they probably would. They knew they were going to make money, but um, but anybody who uh, contributed and to uh, anybody who gave them a hundred bucks or more actually gets to be part of um, this group. Basically, five thousand of us or whatever get to basically put our vote in as to what we think the next version of Car Wars will be, and they're going to actually follow what those people think, uh, supposedly. So. Uh, which is cool, very cool. I'm I'm, I'm very excited about uh, one. I, I'll have a really awesome version of Ogre that they'll never remake uh, unless you know they they can make money off it. I'm assuming. Uh, and then uh, and then two uh, now uh, a game for, another game from my youth. Um, uh, you know, Car Wars is going to be remade. But I'm sorry, Charioteer. Go ahead. I, it just it's a game that I played and I liked without uh, and I knowing Car Wars and now all of a sudden I think I think maybe this is just the ancient Roman version of it because again you customize your chariot you choose your horses you choose your charioteer there is a role playing component you can link your uh, races uh, with your chariots in a campaign you start from the fringes of the empire and then if you survive and you win. You can become famous and you get to race in uh, arenas, <clears throat> I mean, Cirque uh, that are more and more famous. And at the end, if you're powerful enough and famous enough, you get to race in the Circus Maximus. Uh, you race your chariots, you go around you know, the track and you're trying to get there first, but you're fighting for a position. You can beat up the other players as you're trying to pass them. You don't shoot them, but you can whip them, for example. Uh, and then there are random events that may happen when chariots crash or they don't move properly. It is a very cool game, actually. It's really fun. But all of a sudden, I'm just wondering if it's fun because it has borrowed concepts from Car Wars, which wouldn't make it any less fun. It would just make it, you know, a grandson. You know, actually, that that whole theme of, of of the chariots and stuff like that. There's a game, and I own it, and it's out of print for it's been out of print forever. Um, called Circus Imperium. Uh, that uh, it was from FASA, if you if you remember that game company. Um, they were the ones that originally had BattleTech and stuff like that. But anyway, FASA had uh, this this other uh, setting. I forget what it was like. Chaos Legions or something like that. I forget what it is, but it was a it was a I think it was a miniatures line and stuff like that. But they had this game called Circus Imperium, that basically was uh, uh, a chariot game, like you're saying, but instead of like horses uh, leading uh, the the chariots, 
Uh, it was these these wild uh, mutant beasts that were basically giant uh, combination between uh, like a, 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 a triceratops and a lion. Uh, and there was like these team of beasts, and um, and then you have your two people in your hover chariot. Uh, that uh, one was the driver, and one was his like basically his bodyguard or gladiator that was in the back with him. And uh, you would uh, you would you would have these these races. And I remember we played this a lot as well. wasn't a lot of customization. You basically could drop in and play in about five minutes. But um, it had great, uh, uh, awesome little things like like we you'd, you'd whip your beasts to get them to uh, move faster. And uh, and so sometimes you'd whip them and they'd go like you know three or sometimes they'd go an extra one or something like that. But you ran the risk of drawing a card that would cause them to go into a frenzy, which mean, meant they just ran as fast as they possibly could in a straight line. And each each round you had a chance to get them unfrenzied and they just run straight into walls or straight into other other chariots. And, and it was it was a game of just mass mayhem and and, uh, and, and greatly enjoyable. So Circus Imperium, I actually did a written review of that many like a good two three years ago that got maybe three people to read it but uh, but yeah one of another another excellent game excellent one of those games where you you could be killed off in like the first five minutes of the game and then you had to just sit there and watch your friends play so it definitely had its problems as well but uh um very enjoyable so um i was the only thing i can think of was we could talk about um talk about origins we don't, do we know of any games that are coming out in Origins? Um, actually, yes. There is a game that is not coming out, I think, but it's being uh, showed there for the first time, which is Road to Enlightenment. Oh, yeah, yes, that looks interesting. That yeah, that looks... Well, especially now, you know, the, I mean, a 1989 political card game uh, mood, then this seems really good, which is sort of like... It's a card game about political, but also cultural, artistic influence in 17th and 18th century and how those led to, well, the Enlightenment. And you are playing the role of a monarch, or I believe a monarchy, really, given to the span of the game, mm-hmm. that is trying to gain prestige during those two centuries and to shape the cultural history of Europe, pretty much. You know, you're trying to shape it to your own image and resemblance. Uh, it seems super cool. The cards look amazing. The art is phenomenal, and I think they are showcasing their first, uh, uh, the first prototype at uh, Origins. Cool. Yeah, I've seen this it on Kickstarter. I've been kind of waiting to see more about it if I figure out I'm going to back it or not. But... Is it on Kickstarter? Yeah, Road to Enlightenment. Oh, I that I did not know. Then I'm totally going to back it like right now. I yeah. did not know that. I yeah, I, I just yeah, the they they'll present it. Uh, origins. They just do not know if they're going to have the first preview copy, the initial production copy, or the prototype. But the game is going to be there, and I would like to go, but I can't. Well, I'm, I'm, I pulled up the Kickstarter page. Looks like there's 17 days left to go. Um, we pledge. They pledged uh, 8,400 of the 10,000 bucks that they need. You know, why is there like always? Why on Kickstarter projects does it always seem like there's two dollars or one dollar? I mean, who's 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 donating? I'm gonna donate. I'm gonna I'm gonna pledge thirty-two dollars. You know, it's, I don't, I don't understand. Uh, some people. Uh, I did this on a Kickstarter project. I'm not gonna name it. I I backed it originally, and then I 
kind of was like, eh, I don't think this game looks that fun. So I just, but you can't remove your pledge ever. Stupid. But, uh, so you have to like, just put it at the lowest amount. <laughs> so that's put it at really? Five. I yeah. did not know you couldn't remove your pledge. Yeah. If you can, I have no idea how it, the interface is all kinds of funky, but <laughs> change it to a credit card that doesn't exist. Um, yeah. Uh, let's well, see you have here. to link it to your Amazon account, so I don't know. It's, that's, you're probably right. It's probably just create a dummy credit card. Yeah. No, well, yeah, or or you yeah. could just yeah, I don't know. Um, let's see here. Pledge forty dollars. You can spread the knowledge and culture of those who deserve it. Donate one copy of Road to Enlightenment to a school, library, or other civic or nonprofit organization. Yeah. Because one thing that excites me about this game is actually it does cover the period that I specialize in in my in my other life, in the academic life. Mm-hmm. So actually, this is a game that I can actually uh, play with my students, and I can integrate it in my classes without even feeling guilty, without having to make up two incredible and fantastic excuses to do so. It really has to do with that. So that's all the more reason for me to be extremely excited about this game. $65 if you want to get a copy. That's uh, that's a, that's, a, okay. that's more than I expected for a card game. I mean, it looks beautiful. It's it's the only game on Board Game Geek that I subscribed that I subscribe to updates, and I receive updates almost daily with the pictures of new cards. And I haven't unsubscribed. Because you know, I get excited about the game, then I just oh, I'm getting too many updates, and I unsubscribe. This one, I just keep one. I just want to see what happens. But yeah. That's more than I. Ooh, if you want, if you want to pledge eighty-five, you'll get a set of metal doubloons with the game. What? Oh, metal doubloons. Oh, come on. Uh, yeah. Uh, you want to pool together some money and pledge the thousand dollars or more? We get everything at the two hundred fifty dollars level plus a second copy of the game and doubloons. Plus, we're treated to a lunch or dinner. Hmm. Uh, at Gen Con 2012. Oh. What is he, maybe maybe they'll take us out to like Subway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. There's a chicken and waffles restaurant that I want to eat. Maybe they'll take us there. Ah, oh, there we go. Thanks for the thousand bucks. We'll uh, go ahead and give you. No, no. I mean, I, I'm bagging on this guy. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know. Him. I feel yeah. bad. But um, you know, I'll I'll say this. It looks interesting. I just uh. I don't know. It looks um. It looks like he just took a bunch of art that was public domain and slapped it on the cards. I don't know. Uh, there's, there's more to it. I mean, if you have read the description, there is so much more to it. Actually, for example, there's an historical perspective that is built in. Um, as the description goes, they say, for example, nowadays we know that Rembrandt and Vermeer are two of the greatest painters of the of the that, that time, which nobody would have said at the time. Everybody loved Rembrandt, patronized, hired by all the monarchs, super famous. And very few people knew about Vermeer and saw that the game takes that into account. And one of them is represented as a major force and the other one as a minor force. So already that there's there's already some homework that they've done that. It's not only homework in terms of collecting the data, but thinking about them from an historical perspective, from the perspective of somebody who hasn't seen the further developments yet. And that's very promising to me. I'll cool. stick to my philosophy that with Kickstarter, you get the game and stuff that matters, you know, in terms of gameplay. I'll skip the doubloons and I'll get the game. 
Oh, the metal doubloons actually look kind of neat. I'm looking at them right now, and they uh, they got if this is what they're gonna look like, they um, they're pretty neat looking. They, what uh, other games are coming out of Origins? Or or we're going to Gen Con. Me and Lance. Yeah. Are. Yep, yep. Lance is supposedly going to Gen Con. I don't think he actually hey. is. <laughs> hey, 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 hey! I am, I am going. I have to find cheap airfare. It isn't like I, like you know, I mean, to, so I can get there. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's um, we're refinancing our home and stuff like that. So it's just, you know, but uh, I've been, I've been waiting for cheap tickets, and I just haven't found any yet. Um, but uh, and I've been trying to drum up couple of my friends to go to so our, our hotel room will cost less so Sweet. i want to go but i don't want to spend you know 600 bucks on room and and flight just to go there yeah but i going to gen con has been one of my uh things that i've always wanted to do so okay uh it's yeah i'm gonna go I mean, it's, it's i'll i'll find a way to make it work i'm mean, I mean, if i have to drive my car i will drive my car not that i'm looking forward to the 20-hour road trip to get there but yeah, that's um, quite a drive yeah it would be even longer for you so um <laughs> yeah no that's... i mean but the thing is, is if, I, if i'm gonna go to gen con i'm not gonna sign up for any events or anything i'm just gonna wander the tables and oh yeah and uh you know and well, then meet I... I will say that uh, I went there last year, first time to go to the one in Indianapolis. So I, used to, I went once to the one in California, and that was that sucked. Anyway, but uh, huh. um, they have the board game library there. I know I talked to you guys to your definite ear about it, but uh, um, if anybody that listens to our podcast is going to go, they're obviously on Board Game Geek, and that room is like filled with people. It's like a little mini BGG con, in my opinion. Uh, there's a bunch of people from Board Game Geek all over the place in there, and it's just like all day, all night, people playing board games. It's it was packed to the brim, and it was I think it was like two o'clock in the morning, and I was beat because last year I worked a booth and you know till I was blind, and so I get in this place at six in the evening and then play till I couldn't stand up anymore, and one of the nights I walked out at I think it was two in the morning, and it was like packed full of two hundred people. Just, you know, game in a way. Well, uh, I have heard don't even bother bringing any of your own games because they have plenty of stuff out there to play. There's no reason to... Oh, yeah, that, the library's pretty good. I don't think it's as good as the one at, like, at BGGCon or anything, but um, I think it's really good, and plus there's going to be a bunch of new stuff. I may throw a game in the suitcase or something just to... Like, I've got a Dune or something. Maybe I'll, I'll bring that and try to get a game of Dune in there. You're a legal okay. copy of Dune. Not illegal. It's illegal. Oh, who cares? Frank Herbert's dead. I don't care well, about his. Yeah, but his, but his, but his, but his estate isn't. Oh, no. You know, I have my own thoughts on copyright. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, actually, now that I got you guys talking, I mean, uh, I was actually going to mention this, and I, I realize that we've kind of had a longer uh, podcast, but uh, you know, the beauty of these things are you can pause them. So, uh, Kickstarter projects. I mean, uh, I mean, some of them. You know, it's just like they seem to get nowhere, and and some of them like just do so ridiculously well. It doesn't make any sense. Um, for example, a game that like you, you just they just made like a hundred and fifty thousand dollars at Zombicide game. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, now I'll I'll fully admit the miniatures looked really cool. And it looked colorful, and and um, 
they definitely uh i think they 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 did a very very clever and a very 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 inspiring uh um uh campaign for for their game and and they deserved by all means they deserved to 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 make the money they did and i considered uh backing it and i i eventually chose not to um but um you know it's one of those things where it's just like how there was there was there was no description of gameplay mm-hmm. at all for mm-hmm. that game. I looked and I looked and I looked. I wanted to know. I was like, oh, it's a co-op game, uh, uh, and 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 so forth. And but and then, so people really really were buying into that, you know, for the, the zombie thing. Well, it there was another just one the zombie Zom- thing. Well, I think it is because there's another one called Zombie Apocalypse or something. Uh, Z Apocalypse, and I've actually played that game. I got a demo copy of that, and that's a good game, Joel. Yeah. It's it's a uh, that I mean, I mean, I, Zombicide might be awesome for all I know, but Z Apocalypse actually, it's the Z Apocalypse is, is is two games. It, the first part, you have your home base, and you have the tiles in the middle of of of, of the of the board, and um. And it's it, it they're they're battle grids basically, and then and then you you send out um your you get a card that basically says uh, your people go out and they uh, they they go and they uh, investigate like a supermarket that they find, and then you have to roll uh, depending on the skills of the people that you sent out uh, to investigate your role. And then you determine what you get out of, uh, going there, whether it's like, you know, food or weapons or more survivors or what have you. And then along with that, you basically draw the attention of, of zombies that then follow you back to your home base. And each player does this and you're all in the same home base. And so then, what happens is is that the zombies show up and they get placed on this 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 battle map that you have and then before you can actually go f- on to like the next day basically you have to uh you know fight all the zombies and and so you actually then get to spend some of your resources what have you to build traps for the zombies or build walls or or build towers that like a sniper can be on and things like that and then you actually then kind of have a semi co-op thing where everybody has to work together to fight these zombies as they come in and like it it ramps up amazingly well like the first night's pretty easy you know there isn't a lot but then like the second night it it you know, it's even more zombies. And like the third night, the zombies are, are even more, but they're tougher. And then like, and if you, and the whole thing is, is that you have to last a certain number of days. You decide how many days you're going to try to win to, to survive. And like two is easy. Three is tough. And four is nearly impossible. I mean, I tried it. I've tried playing it with four, uh, several times. I, I think, uh, I, I don't think I won one i i'm i i we almost won once but just a couple of bad die rolls and, and we didn't last the four and it's two separate games and it's 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 a heck of a lot of fun and um uh i'm glad that uh yeah i backed that one because i think with the improved art and and what have you but i mean just because it says zombies doesn't mean it's gonna do well no i know i know but that's why did that other one do well that didn't have any gameplay and because, i just noticed this oh i'm sorry i think what it is i think what that one did really well i think it made it 
the miniatures. I think people went crazy for the miniatures. And what they did yeah. with that is that once they met a goal, then they said, oh, okay, um, now if you can get us up to whatever – then we'll offer up this other cool miniature. And, and every miniature they offered was like somebody from pop culture of pop culture reference. Like mm. the next miniature they offered was uh, basically Samuel L. Jackson from Pulp Fiction, mm. you know? And so then, Oh, you're going to get a little tiny miniature. That's that. And then it was like Chuck Norris. And then it was Ash and, 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 you know, and so on and so forth. And they weren't called that obviously because of copyright law, if you will. Right. And, uh, and, but and so people were just like, oh, if I could just get, you know, I had, I had a friend who always referred to um, uh, playing video games, like a good video game always, always uh, um, uh, has that if I could just get, if I could just get, you know, and like, and it keeps ramping it up on you. Right. And so you, you never want to put down the, 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 the game pad. Well, I think that's what they did with this Kickstarter project and which is brilliant, mind you. Yeah. I mean, but this game might be complete and total crap. Well, you know what? I mean, that's something that really irritates me about these Kickstarter games is these stretch goals. Now, sometimes it makes sense because you like it at our basic level. We get, you know, you get the game. And then if we hit like 30,000, then instead of wooden pawns, we'll do like miniatures. And then at 50,000, we'll do, you know, instead of a paper board, we'll do a mounted board. That makes sense. But when they do these things like, you know, oh, we'll add in these 10 new cards. And then when we hit 50,000, we'll come up with something. And that's like, dude, do you play test your games? <laughs> You're just going to throw in random stuff to change the game? I mean, I don't know what the... I don't understand. I mean, I don't know what it is. It's not that big a deal. But there's something that's like seriously wrong to me about that. Where it's like, okay, we have a game idea, and it will be this. But then if we get more money, the game will be totally different. I'm like, man, what are you doing? You know, you had you have a game idea or not, or are you just like throwing a game up there? And and I, I know I'm being extreme about this, but these stretch goals, some of them make sense, and some of them I'm just like, no, I'm not backing your game if you're gonna change it. If more people spend money on it, it's, I don't know. I just there's some principle that offends me or something, but well, crazy. and then the other thing that people are all offended about right now, and and I guess I understand that is that is that people are getting all offended by the fact that established publishers are using Kickstarter now, mm-hmm. like like Queen uh, Games is is yeah. going, and 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 I'm not I'm not bagging on Queen Games, but I mean when was the last time Queen Games came out with a game that was like in, amazing? Oh. Uh... I don't know. I like Chicago Express quite a bit, but that's a few years ago. Yeah, that was a couple years ago. That's several and, years ago. Yeah. And 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 Shogun was what 2006? Yeah. Earlier than that, even I think. No, 2006. Uh, seems longer. And and I'm not I'm not I'm not trying to pick on a publisher here. I'm not trying to say, but it's just like and so maybe they have a reason then. I mean they they've had a lot of stinkers lately. I mean I, I, I mean, you know I mean and I'm not saying I mean and I'm sure there's people out there who are like oh I'm gonna get emailing undead fucking telling him he's wrong you know and maybe you know the games aren't just for me but I mean a lot of like the the Queen games like fairly recently that I played just didn't really excite me at all. I mean um, Kingdom Builder very blah. Um, uh, you know, before that, there was um, um, the 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 routes to riches uh, that Sahara game or what was it called? I forget. Oh what yeah, they are talking about. Yeah, I mean, and that was kind of, eh, you know, I mean, it was just, yeah. um, 
you know, I mean, uh, Lancaster was good. I like that game. Lancaster is good. I yeah. will say that. But Lancaster, but it, it vanished. Oh, it was like it was like like literally I found out about Lancaster like a month before it came out. And I was just like and then I, and I thought that game was really good. But nobody talks about the game. It's just it's it's just, you know, it's, eh, it's just I like it solid, you know. It's got some neat little the whole voting thing and you know, Yeah, that's cool. But, but yeah, but, as far as like, when I think your, of them, uh, it's just it, it's just they I, I don't know I think I mean not that not that I think Queen Games is going under by any means or anything like that because uh, I think they do they do good work and but I can totally see why I mean look at that Castelli game that wasn't any good I played that like uh, a few weeks ago a friend of mine bought it and I played that and I wasn't really all that impressed by it uh, and um you know and it's just uh. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, not every game is going to be good. I mean, even Rio Grand Games and all the all the other big publishers, they come up with crap too. But I mean, uh, I, I guess I don't have a problem with established publishers using Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't see why not. I don't see why not either. I mean, I, Steve Jackson was going to do Ogre anyways, mm-hmm. and, you know, and he just realized it, it's sort of like it's almost like they're doing a survey. Thanks to this, they know how many people are interested in buying the game. Yep. They probably would have come out with you know a smaller run if they had not used Kickstarter. I, I think that they were also taken by surprise by, you know, the popularity. I think that originally they wanted just to have a run of you know a thousand copies or something like that, and that was it. Right. Uh, but um, I have an announcement to make. Road to Enlightenment had 111 big backers until a couple of minutes ago, and now it has 112. Our episode witnessed. A momentous history, history making episode. Exactly. <laughs> we're, see, we're seeing game, you know, we're recording game history as it happens. <laughs> so I like the game. I'm very excited about this game. Can't wait to get it. I hope it gets. Uh, I'm going to research it a little further. I think I might end up backing it as well. I, I need to, I need to dig into it though and, and see, if I, see if I need another card game on my on my shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess we could probably, uh, talk about Kickstarter forever. Um, Hey, uh, we were, we're recording this actually it's 2 AM where I am or 2 17 AM where I am right now. And that means that it is technically mother's day right now. Mm-hmm. So, um, I can't speak for anybody else as far as what their mother uh, ever did for them to contribute to them being a geek or a gamer or whatever. But um, not that my mom will ever listen to this, but uh, when I was young, uh, my mom always uh, uh, fed into my, my weird interests and, and, and she never really made me do anything except for take piano lessons for like 10 years, which, you know, she always said I'd appreciate that later. And you know what I do? Cause I can actually play the played the piano and i never would be able to so that's the only thing she ever made me do other than that and like mow the lawn and stuff like that but she always allowed me just to kind of go off and, and do whatever i want so my mother was really 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 awesome for that and my mom would drive me to the comic book store uh every wednesday when the new comics came out and she'd buy me comics and when uh, my older brother told me about dungeons and dragons and i told my mom i wanted to try it out uh she went off and in the in the era of of 
ordering things from catalogs because you could didn't have an internet um she uh went to jc pennies of all places and had them order uh the old uh, uh first edition books the dungeon master's guide and monster manual and, and player's handbook and bought them for me and then whenever i i wanted something like car wars or whatever uh you know she'd always make it a point to make sure that i got it and i was able to play all those geeky wonderful games so uh, happy Mother's Day, Mom. I don't know. Maybe I'll make her listen to this little part. And uh, and uh, I think it's uh, I think it's uh, Mother's Day is is maybe a, a completely and totally uh, made up by the Hallmark Foundation. If you want to believe the conspiracy theories and what have you, but um, I don't know. Uh, Mother's Days are, are are pretty special to me because my mom's really really cool. So happy mother's know. day mom <laughs> did your mom ever contribute contribute to you being a geek at all she must she plays games with you right yeah she does now uh i she, we played i don't know Candyland when i was little and stuff but uh, monopoly but uh uh yeah i mean she uh she bought me games once in a while and and let me do it she didn't tell me no when i you know wanted to get uh dragon lance the board game and uh, she wasn't like one of those moms that's like, I don't want dragons in my house or, you know, anything like that. She's supportive of it and figured it was harmless and just fun. So she's always good like that. As of now, my thoughts go to my wife. That's, you know, as the mother of 1.5 daughters. Right now <laughs> she's in the late stages of the pregnancy. So the burden of motherhood with a little daughter running around the house and eight point, you know, eight and a half months of pregnancy. There, right now, the burden of being a mother is particularly heavy on her. So, uh, if she will ever listen to this, yeah, I just wanted to wanted to know how much I appreciate all the hard work that she's doing for for, for our family. And yeah. it is three twenty one a.m. here, and they <laughs> promised that we would go um, for brunch. Uh, today to celebrate that actually since i tend to stay up until this late or much later at night and then wake up late part of the present was that i would wake up early so that i could be of extra help in the morning and we go out for brunch earlier than we usually do so i got to honor that part of the deal and are you having a boy or a girl do you know it's gonna be a girl another little girl yeah two little girls Right, We're very so happy about it. I was I was gonna try to say that if you had a boy, you should name him Lance, but uh... we don't call it Lancina. That's uh. <laughs> Italian. It's uh, Vikingina. Do you have a name picked out for your for your new little bundle of joy? Uh, we kind of do. Yeah, we're ninety nine point nine. You know, we have all ninety nine point nine. Uh, sure, but we're not going to make any official announcement until then. It is very hard to find a name that sounds good in Italian and in Brazilian Portuguese and doesn't sound too weird in English so that people will not make fun of her in school. Uh, yeah, no, don't worry about it, man. Uh, I didn't, we didn't have a name uh, for our son until. Uh, well, we didn't have names picked for you because we didn't know if you're having a boy or a girl, but um, we didn't have for sure names picked for both genders until literally my wife was in labor. So, uh, yeah, it's... it's. But did uh, you guys narrow it down at least to, you know, two or three? 
or just well, we, we we had a good we had we had a we had a good list of like about five or six for each and and we had kind of we had kind of fought a little bit about it because like you know we just couldn't decide but then um my son's name is caleb and his caleb michael is his name and um uh and uh, Caleb, because it's just it, it's just uh, it's just one of those solid biblical names, and it just it's just a nice little name. And and um, my best friend uh, was named Michael, and um, he died when he was 18. And I always told myself that if I ever had a son, I would name him after him because he was probably the nicest guy I ever knew in my entire life. So. Uh, so there we go. I had my, I finally had my son. So then, yeah, we, we, my, my wife said, can I name Caleb? And I said, well, can his middle name be Michael? And she said, yes. And so, mm-hmm. bam, two hours later, he came into the world. So coming about, yeah, talking about fighting, fighting about names. My wife was very happy. We discovered that uh, the second one was going to be a daughter so that I stopped uh, insisting that Cal L was a solid name. <laughs> <laughs> Kalel <laughs> Ronaldo just sounds perfect. It's such What's, an inspiring figure. So she, it's Supergirl's name. I forget what her name is. No, that that's that's that is that's that's Superman. I was. No, I know who Kalel is, but I'm saying since it's a daughter. Exactly, it would have been Diana for Wonder Woman, and that Diana <laughs> says, "Oh, Diana is good," but then she realized why I was Diana, and so she vetoed that one too. Hey, hey, I want one more question, Marco. One more question. <laughs> I want. I just because I, I, I think you and I had a discussion one time about uh, about superheroes, and we kind of went back and forth a little bit. And um, I think you like Superman more than I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 not that I don't mind Superman, but who is Superman's best villain? Uh, well, best. It's interesting. I mean, Lex Luthor comes to yes. mind, of course, as, to as the recurrent one. But there are the ones that really contribute a lot. Actually, I would say that in a certain way, you Batman, you say, oh, it's the Joker. Luther is maybe the most frequent one, but there are just so many other ones that are so fascinating. I mean, the old uh, Mr. Mix Petrugle, it's, it's a great character. It's a completely zany, crazy character that changes reality to play pranks on, on the universe. Uh, I really like Doomsday. I really like Doomsday as sort of like, you know, the dark uh, side of of Superman. I mean, he's really sort of like a grotesque caricature of Superman. Speaking of Bizarro, same thing, the idea of the, um, of the dark twin, you know, sort of, you know, the, 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 the Mr. Hyde separated at birth uh, uh, creature. Uh, I just find Superman a fascinating character. I mean, many people, the yeah, SM is a little duller than, say, duller than the Batman. Uh, because Batman is more you know, darker and tormented, etc., etc. But they did a Superman um, forces himself to follow such a strict code of ethics that that in itself actually presents a set of complications and and, and inner struggles. He himself, you know, has to force himself to follow that code. And I guess I just like the idea again, something that. Now, people debate if Superman is Kal-El or it's Clark Kent. I mean, after reading many, 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 many stories of Superman, I think that the, what really makes the series strong, strong is that he's Clark Kent. Is his human side. Mm, uh, no, so no, no, not to interrupt you, but have you ever seen the movie Kill Bill? 
Exactly, which quotes from, I mean, the entire discourse about Kill, you know, Superman is Kal-El uh, comes from an old book by Jules Pfeiffer, and I disagree with both, both with Pfeiffer and then with the, the thing, and it's probably the one thing in Kill Bill that I do not like, it's my favorite movie otherwise, uh, but the point is precisely this, that what makes Superman so incredible is that he has the possibility, the physical possibility of being above every other human being of dominating mankind and at the same time he has that human aspect that actually keeps that under control you know supreme temptation of uh, going above the human beings and then that's deep feeling of belonging to human beings among the human beings and if you have read the recent uh arc uh, started a couple of years ago uh new krypton I don't know if you've read that one, Lance. Or oh, Dora. yes, I have. Yeah, I, I've read New Krypton. Krypton is yes. rebuilt, and so there are hundreds of thousands of Kryptonians that come to Earth, and they all have the power of Superman, and none of them has the uh, the same sort of like respect for mankind and, and understanding of mankind. They just have raw power coming from another culture. And the fact that, again, Superman is about self-restraining it's about power responsibility in a way it is a super is this a spider-man idea on a different scale and i find that that presents its own you know fascinating aspects even though again on the surface it seems just as like oh you know super good old boy always does the right thing the, the, the struggle that is within to keep that you know that not the facade but to to stick to his moral ethical mission to me is a very interesting part of the character and kalel would have made a great name for my son had i ever had a son you know but uh but batman he doesn't know I mean, he, he, he's got he's got a good bank account but he has no powers man yet yet he, he yet he takes on the same people superman does and and probably does it even better and you know what he he follows by the same code he won't kill he won't. Uh, I mean, he'll he'll uh, he'll he'll scare you half to death and maybe break your legs, but uh, mm-hmm. but 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 you know he he won't he won't he won't kill. I don't know. I mean, yeah, the argument back and forth yeah. is. Well, and, but the point uh, is that this, you know, for Superman, it would be even easier. Batman would have to come up with all sorts of gadgets and ideas. Superman could just kill superpower villains just not by blinking too fast. You know, so then we get more power forces, more self-restraint. It's more temptation. Of but when it came voice. when it came down to it, who won between Batman and Superman? According to Frank Miller, Batman would beat right. Superman. And that is kind of the point. Actually, every time that there's been a confrontation between the two, uh, Batman has won. It's it's a narrative thing. It would be dull otherwise. It would be too obvious. The story would be boring. Superman wins. Of course he wins. You know. So actually, it's fascinating if you see the underdog winning the, the one that has to make the extra effort in order to win and that's it's a it's an old rule of superhero comics the winner wins by an extra effort otherwise it is not interesting superman gets there slaps somebody in the face wins the wins the fight the end <laughs> that wouldn't be that fun to read like one page um, actually on the entire debate you know kal or clark kent the fascinating thing about batman is the batman is batman and Bruce Wayne is the mask. Right. You know, because people say, oh, it's just some people that do not read the comic think of him as the, the, the guy from the 60s who is a rich millionaire, likes to go out, you know, uh, you know hanging out, partying, etc., etc., and then puts on the mask to have more fun and get the thrill. 
was quite the contrary. He hates them. He has to keep up the, the mask of Bruce Wayne. He doesn't enjoy going to parties. He hates that part. He would love to be in the Batcave working on crimes if he could. But he has to keep up that other facade in order to da 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 da, da. And that's kind of the fascinating thing about Batman and probably why I love both the characters and I and I find them so different and fascinating in different ways. And I could just I can't have enough of reading about about them. Yeah, it's 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 really weird, and and not we could talk about comics forever. Maybe we should do that at some point for a podcast. But um, it's it's so weird that like we we have this Avengers movie that came that just came out, and it's it's going to make billions of dollars. I think easily over two billion dollars in just ticket sales, and and Lord knows how much more in DVDs and so so forth like that. But Nobody ever talks. I mean, at least not in my circle of of, of comic book nerds. Nobody ever goes off about, um, oh man, this 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 Iron Man storyline that 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 in the comics I read about is mm-hmm. just so gripping. Is just so entertaining. Nobody ever talks about, oh man, like you know these event this Avengers uh, uh, you know six story arc was just you know just so awesome. I mean, they mm-hmm. they, they they kind of did a little bit when when they had um like the the, the what was it a couple of years ago two three years ago they had the the, the big the thing with the school. yeah i mean they, and that was that was that was mildly interesting i mean it was just but but when but when you cross the pond basically so to speak and go to dc you you go up and down uh the 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 the, the different titles and they're just it just seems like it's. It, it, it guess in my opinion, it just sometimes it seems like uh, DC just is is doing a much better job at at, at presenting the, the the engrossing and gripping story, mm. and then and then the actual like the actual putting on the spandex and beating the heck out of the bad guy is almost tertiary to the to the what uh is there you know i and 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 maybe i'm just maybe i'm just a dc fanboy and i'm just not seeing it as well uh in on the marvel side i love um, my interpretation which is not so much about marvel versus dc but about uh, super teams versus individuals because one thing is you compare exactly you know the greatest story you know with superman or with batman with the Avengers, I don't know why if you compare the Avengers with Justice League or Justice Society. Can anybody mention the, you know, the arc of the Justice Society that changed the world? I mean, historically, yes, they did, but as for quality. And the point is that with super teams, you have just, um, it's a soap opera factor. It's more important than the single issue that, bam, you know, sticks to memory. It's more about seeing the stories that develop and the roster that changes and the interaction between characters. So it is more about long story arcs that are interesting rather than, you know, the two episodes that, wow, the, you know, the four episode story that stands out. And I think this is why, for example, the Avengers have been uh, around for so long uh, without, yes, you're perfectly right. I could not mention, you know, the quintessential Avengers story arc. If I think about it, probably can find one that I enjoyed much more uh, but for the event but I have read tons of Avengers too and and I enjoy them even though again I don't remember one or two peaks that come to mind immediately because I think it's a, it's a series that does consistently well 
it has done consistently well without that you know super visible peak but uh, just by building long term narrative arcs that develop in the you know in the span of months or years so, uh, it is still extremely to me it is a great series it's a great team even though who are the avengers and they change roster so much uh, but I think that's that's maybe a, a main the a main difference I see there is between the way in which stories about super teams are narrated, and it takes longer to build up, and you do not necessarily have the big boom, you know, the explosion, as opposed to stories about individuals. I will say this: you, I, going back to also your comment about Bruce Wayne and like you know uh, Bruce Wayne's the mask or whatever, there was a very very excellent uh, issue, and and this just adds more ammo to your to your statement which which i completely agree with but it was just it was i think it was just called a day in the life of bruce or something like that and it was like it was like the one day that like batman uh stopped being batman for a day and he actually went to work and and went through all of his interpersonal dealings with every single person that he talked to and and it was it was it was interesting and it was neat and he was kind of like like he 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 um he knew every single person that that worked for him, from like the the doorman uh, to the the mail office boy to like every single person, and he knew about their lives and everything because he's Batman. You know, he he looks yeah. into it, he researches everybody, and he just you know because he sits in front of that giant computer all day long, and like there's little things like um, he he happens to like run into the uh, uh, well he doesn't happen. He knows exactly what the guy's schedule is, so he makes sure he's on the right floor at the right time. And and the 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 mail boy walks by and he's like, oh you know Curtis, I I, I you know it's like how did your uh, how did your you know artist school application go? He's like, well, I got in, but I, you know I didn't have the money. And then like he hands him a check, you know, for all the for his full scholarship, you know, just like so he can go to an artist school. And and so it's like everything he does is like he's affecting all these people's lives as he as he makes his way up to his his big boardroom up in the top floor and and then he gets there and then and then the 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 the, the, the like the gotcha moment of, of the storyline is that um he wasn't really being bruce like all the things that he did were actually um things mm-hmm. that were going to help batman because of the fact that, like, he, you know, everything tied back, you know, getting this guy to go to artist school means that he would have a connection to be able to, like, uh, you know, be able to call on that guy. And, and, and there was somebody there that he was investigating for something. And then, and it was, you know, and so, you know, and, like, all, like, the, the deals that he brokered and everything, like, as he went through the whole thing were all about, you know, obtaining new mm-hmm. technology for, for Batman and, and, and things like that. Yeah. I see and it was not the thesis. He cannot stop being bad. Yeah, and so it, it, it was. It was. It was a very, very, very well done, uh, 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 like little issue where you never mm-hmm. saw Batman. You just saw Bruce, but of course, then there's the the final pose where he's standing there and he's looking out the window at, at the sun, and of course, the sun's hitting him, and the shadow is, of course, the bat, you know, behind him, and mm-hmm. and you know, very, very classic moment. So. Ah, like I said, we could have a podcast entirely about comics, and, and oh yeah, and, and it would last like eight hours long, and and everybody who loves board games would be sitting there going, "Shut up!" Well, we can have a separate no, not not an episode of this podcast. We should have another podcast called Iron Iron Heroes. <laughs> I don't. I don't think I have the time or the Neither space to have have more comics in my house because my my wife oh. hates the ones that I have right now as far as the amount of space they take up. So, 
Uh, I love her to death, but she's right. Our house is not big enough for my hobbies. So I had made, I had a deal with my wife. So I can keep buying superheroes as long as I have store or space to store them. And I put all the meta books in the basement pretty much. So I have some room to go. So that's not going to be you. an issue for the next couple of years before I... <laughs> I fill up the walls that I see still blank, and I see how oh, well that is empty. And to me, it's just opportunity, <laughs> possibility. Well done. Yeah, I, just, I wouldn't have time to be in another podcast, but I think it would be darn cool. Maybe, maybe uh, if if Joel's up to it, because I know Joel's a, a little bit of a comic book nerd himself. Maybe we should. Uh... Like one out of every ten or something like that, we can talk mm-hmm. about the state of comics comic or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I don't read a whole lot of superhero comics, but uh, not anymore. I, or sometimes I do. So I may that's be coming okay. out of left field on you guys. but Oh, that's okay. I, I, I read all kinds now. Yeah. So. Okay, thanks for joining us on another episode of Wooden Cubes and Iron Soldiers. Uh, we kind of wandered all over the place today, but hopefully it was as fun for you as it was as fun for us to do it. Uh, Until next time, take care.